Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to Know Your Gear QA Live podcast number 286. Uh, let's get into the question. Sean Brooks says, Phil, do you still have a PRS hollow body car? I have two of them. I have a hollow body two single cut, which they don't make anymore. That's why I have it. I wanted one and then I, I happened to get one. And then I have a hollow body single, no, double cut. And the irony was when I bought the single cut, it was because it was like, okay, it was this elusive one they don't make anymore. And I got it and I had every intention to get rid of the double cut. And then what ended up happening was I, I like the double cut more. But I kind of decided because they were so expensive that it just didn't justify. Well, obviously, just having two is ridiculous. But I couldn't justify anything else. So that's where the slim down of a lot of the, like my Custom 24 green uh, Risa Verde uh, was was sold off. I sold off a ton of them to basically thin it down. So obviously I have the PRS that Nathan made for me, and then I have the two hollow bodies, and then I have my Mira, which is retired. I don't know if I mentioned that. I know it's a weird thing to say, but it's been retired for a little while. Um, I'm just not playing it. Uh, it's I'm playing my SG. Oh, I didn't turn off my phone. I apologize. Uh, turn, I've been playing my SG. But, uh, and then I have a S2 as well. So those are the PRSs I have. Um, what else? Uh, Mark wants to know, Hey, I just want to timestamp this. Hey, what, Hey, Phil, have you seen the new solar pedal? No, I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it. Would make sense. I'm assuming it's solar guitars or is it a pedal called solar? If it's thinking about pedals, I can't keep up on them. And and I, and there's channels that are like devoted to pedals. And I always remind everybody, like I, I rarely do pedal reviews. It's just not something I do. I tell myself I'll do one a month and I haven't, I think one year since I'm on YouTube, I think I did 12 one year in the year. I don't know if that's entirely true. You have to go back and count them all for years, but I've never, um, I've never, uh, I've never <laughs> reviewed 12 pedals in a year, I don't think, or at least more than that. So it's something I, I, I see a lot of, a lot of companies cause I don't do a lot of pedal reviews. I'm not on a lot of pedals companies kind of radar and I don't buy a whole lot of pedals. It's just not something I purchase a lot of, um, maybe one or two here and there. And there's usually something I'm specifically after. So I'm trying to think of the last pedal I was at, I, I bought. I can't think. Oh, I know. It was the, um, it was a, uh, what was it? <laughs> it was a J rocket pedal. I just can't remember which one. Okay. Um, all right. Um, Okay. Murphy's Flab. That's kind of funny. That's funny. Murphy's Flab uh, did a super chat and said, Hey, thanks for all the time you put in your vid- videos. Uh, thank you for that. I always, I always kind of, you know, uh, I live for that. That's the compliment I live for when you guys compliment on the time it takes to make a video. I, I don't know why. I just sometimes, you know, when you make a video on YouTube, every video is going to feel like somebody probably took an hour out of their day and made a video, maybe a couple hours. And sometimes they take, you know, days to put together. And, um, and, uh, it's, I hate that I have my validation and I hate most of our YouTube, most YouTube channels validation is views. I hate that. I think when I talk to small channels, they seem to be hyper-focused on, they don't get enough views. When I talk to big channels, they seem to be hyper-focused. They don't get enough views. I get drawn into it. YouTube, of course, just has to remind you. I don't know if you guys know this, but YouTube's like, likes to send you stupid messages like your viewers are not engaging with this. And maybe you should work on different kinds of content because they don't seem to like this. I'm not making that up. YouTube sends you that kind of crap. And you're just like, 
great. <laughs> Thanks for letting me know that nobody liked my video that has low views. And uh, you hyper-focus on that. And then when somebody says, hey, man, thanks for the time, you're like, oh, man, thank you. You know, that's the compliment. Um, everybody always seems to ch champion the, hey, I can't believe you got 100,000 views. It's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. But that's not really the compliment because I don't have control of that. <laughs> what I have control over how much time I put into it. So thank you. Uh, and uh, the reason I wanted to highlight that was not only because it gives me a moment to kind of, you know, help my ego a little bit, but also to remind channels that are watching, that are watching this, that, hey, man, that's what really matters is that the time you put into it, somebody does appreciate it. I, I promise you. Um, uh, it's great. And if it's one person, it's enough. That's enough. <laughs> like I said, one one person today. That's good. That's all I need. All right. Um Let's see. Uh, hold on. <laughs> Dave says, after this week, I suddenly want a Strandberg. Well, uh, either that's mystical universe talking or uh, maybe you uh, you saw my video. So this week I did a review of the Strandberg uh, Bowden NX, NX6 guitar. Uh, Strandberg was kind enough to send a guitar out for review. And uh, that was a, a really crazy thing to happen. Um Ola Strandberg himself sent me an email out of nowhere, just popped in my feed. You know, you see Ola. I saw Ola. I was like, oh, it's making us think of Ola, the other Ola. And I was like, oh, Ola Strandberg. I'm like, wow, okay, this can't be from him. And I click open and he just said, hey, I, I really like what you're doing. Could, could, would you be interested in me, you know, sending a guitar out for review? And he saw a bunch of the reviews. He saw how I did them. He saw the format in which, you know, we're going to investigate a little bit in the video and do some stuff. And he was like, I'm up for it. And, um, I told him the same thing I tell everybody, which is, Hey, like, you know, please don't, you know, cherry pick a guitar, send the guitar you think will be the most common guitar you send out. And, uh, they sent it out and I, I said, Hey, can I, I can, I want to mess with it for a while. Um, which they allowed me, which is very kind of them too. Again, cause a lot of companies, you know, they want you to hurry up, <laughs> you know, you got that guitar, you, you know, hurry up, make that video. And they were obviously way more accommodating than you can ever imagine. And then before the video uh, could go out, I, I emailed them and said, Hey, would you, would you come on the podcast and do an interview with me? And, uh, they were very, yes. And he doesn't do a whole lot of interviews. He's, you know, and that's, what's really great. And he was super sweet and humble and super smart. And, um, Man, I, I, I enjoyed every minute of it. In fact, so you know, so you know, that interview on the second channel of Ola Strandberg is the closest interview I've ever done, with no exceptions, to you seeing the entire interview. Um, 90 plus percent of the raw interview is in that interview. That's how much I thought it was great. Some interviews I chop out pieces. I never edit what they say. I don't edit them at all. Sometimes I edit myself or I'll edit out sections that I think kind of slow the process down. And that interview, I just, I found it so engaging that I was like, I'm leaving it all in. So I didn't take anything out. So usually when we talk about this, I usually have a tidbit of like, oh, and then, so, you know, it's not in the interview, but he said this, nope, everything's in there. I don't think there's a single thing I took out of his that he said. Um, I enjoyed every minute of it. So thank you guys for acknowledging that. That was really a lot of fun. Um, so from that, I've decided I definitely need a Strandberg seven string. <laughs> I'm working on that. I'm working on it. I would like to do a temper. They have true temperament frets, Strandbergs. I know a lot of you guys wouldn't be interested. I don't think I'm interested, but I've never really played one. And I've, maybe that's my avenue to get one on the channel and uh, show it off. I would love to show off the true temperament system and 
look at it <laughs> and diagnose it and maybe uh, sh- share with you guys. So, um, Chess Roots uh, Love said he was very inspiring. He was. You know, you know what it is. Um, this ties into a question. I want to tie a question into this question. Somebody came early and asked uh, what basically guitar builder or uh, our builder in our industry would I like to interview that I haven't interviewed yet. And you know what it is. It's like Ola. I'm I'm after when I do these interviews. What I'm after is the mistakes, the dirt, the mess. I want all of that. I have screwed up so much in this life, in my in my entrepreneurial endeavors, and you know, you guys. Some people may say, oh, "Okay, you succeed," and sometimes you know you feel like you succeeded, and sometimes you feel like you failed. And some people may think you failed, but really, what happens is, is you realize like it was. There's a lot of rough road to, to have. You know, all the mistakes you made. And I really appreciate anyone who, instead of telling me all of their successes, can tell me how the failures led to those successes, because that's what I think truly helps somebody. Like I said, I say it over and over again on the show, and I will say it over and over again forever. Look, don't listen to me. I'm not smart. But I promise you, everything I'm telling you when I tell you something that happened, that's why I always talk in story format. I don't. I tell you guys what happened to me. It's either because either I did something right and maybe you should emulate that or I did something wrong and you shouldn't do that. Either way, hopefully that piece of information isn't to tell you what to do, but it's to say, hey, look, this is what I had to go through, good or bad. And here's what resulted from it. And I love anyone who will talk like that. Ola talking about how he used the CNC machine and he cut through the clamps or, you know, how he didn't think of certain things or he did certain things or he had to change his business model. That's a big deal. So to answer the question, the second question is who um, uh, who would I like to interview? Uh, you know, uh, the owner of Dr. Z Amps. I think he's one of the smartest uh, amp guys out there. And when I say that, there, there are a lot of amazing amp builders out there, and but if you ever watch any of the videos of the guy who owns Doctor Z, I feel bad. I don't know his name right now. I should know it off the top of my head. I own a Doctor Z amp straight strictly from those videos. I just watch videos of him. It's kind of like Josh Scott. You watch him and you go, I like where this guy's coming from. I'm going to support his products, right? So Josh Scott would be another one I'd like to interview. Same thing because I don't think he would have any problem sugarcoating you know, a mistake or talk, telling a story, you know, what I'm interested in when I talk to these interviews is, is that is the story of, I want to champion the success at the end of the interview, but th- through the interview, I want, I want to know, like, why did you choose this? Why did you, you know, um, back to Ola, when he said, before he tried to put the rich light fretboards on the guitar, he said, he tapped on them, you know, like that's the going standard. You tap on wood and listen to see how high, how many, how much high frequency he has. And he said it was dead, like a piece of cardboard. And, uh, and then he put it on a guitar and it sounded great. And I'm like, see, you know, I, I, there's so many builders that I just have no interest in talking to because the only way they would frame that story is, and then that's when I knew I had to use rich light because it was the greatest material ever. Like whatever, right? <laughs> right. Just say the truth. The truth was you got it. You had to try it for some reason. There's, you know, he said it was just too hard to get ebony. So let me try something else. That's the truth of this industry. It's most industries. Sometimes you can't get product anymore because it's expensive or they don't make it. You got to try new product. And they and living in the fear of what some people on the internet may talk about on a forum, like, oh, they're evil and this is why they change things. It's not it's not it's not important. The importance is is understanding why you did something. I will totally uh, get behind any product, any company who has the guts to say, look. This is why I do it. 
This is why, and I and and I want to believe that they really believe in their product. So I think Josh Scott would be amazing. I think the owner of Doctor Z would be amazing. There's some others too, but again, keep in mind it's not even who I'm like. I love their products. It's who I think would engage in a very honest discussion versus who's just going to give me the marketing copy. Because I'm going to tell you, sometimes it's tough when you're interviewing a, a guitar company or an amp company and they have like bullet point marketing points and you can tell. And, um, and, uh, there's a couple companies I've done on the, uh, previously on my interviews over the years uh, that I successfully was able to neg- navigate around that. I edited out all the bullet point copy, copy stuff. And I think you got a, a real true sense of who they are, but unfiltered, but it's still, it's, it's not very fun when, you know, like, why do you use this? And they're like, well, then I discovered. I'm like, oh, well, then you discovered. Great. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, what else? What else do we have? Hold on. A lot of you guys are talking about stuff. Sometimes I'm curious, like, what are you guys talking about? I'm sure you see a lot of stuff talking about headless guitars and Dr. Z's. Um. Yeah, some of you saying also they sell sizzle. Yeah, of course. Like I said, um, PW, uh, uh, who's a who's a member, says Josh Scott does some of the best marketing for other pedal makers better than their own marketing. Ah, well, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I've said this before. Josh Scott is someone who I think obviously looked at how social media was working, saw how channels were doing it, not how companies were doing it. He's the first by far. And again, I never mean disrespect to anybody I missed. I didn't see them do it. You know, I forgot that they did it too. So that's what happens when you call call somebody out positive or negative. Uh, everybody's like, what about this? Josh Scott, I think, was the first company by far, because he is a company, obviously, that to look at social media, this, YouTubers, people who are average Joe, average Jane guitar players, spouting out their love of the of their of their passion and follow that vein and go okay i know i and and here's he did something i couldn't do i told you guys i had my store and i couldn't connect my store to this i just couldn't do it to me i wanted this to be my time talking about gear and i didn't want it to be promoting the store and I've seen some people do it like Anderton's does really well, but he definitely it's a marketing thing. So it's never like, I think he's honest and I think they're a really good company. And I think I like their YouTube videos a lot, but I mean, it's still like, it's connected. You're very aware of it. It's just like how Mitch Gallagher does Sweetwater. You're very connected that they're with the, the company. Um, but Josh Scott is the first company that I saw that was able to de- literally like detach himself, like almost like a turn of a key or like the changing of a hat. This my hat backwards. Look, <laughs> right it's almost like he was able to take his i own the business hat off and put on my i love pedals like you guys hat and just be that person and i think if i would have saw him do that i would have changed how i maybe approached youtube originally and uh and uh but i'm glad because it, like i said i thought um and i know what he did is hard because you would think because he's done it and so successful that a lot of other companies would follow that format but they don't they go that most companies are making commercials to some degree and again it's nothing wrong with that the commercials are good they're entertaining their products are highlighted but it takes a lot to basically say okay i'm not going to talk about my product i'm gonna talk about somebody else's product all the time So, and he understands, and I want to be very clear, he understands that every time he does that, 
we're going to buy JHS because he, JHS is Josh Scott. J, Josh Scott is JHS. And therefore, even when he's telling us that Behringer's good, or even when he's telling us if Wampler's good, we know that obviously, you know, his stuff's good too. And so it's good advertising for him, but it's not in your face. It doesn't have to be a slap in the, um, you know, slap in the face. Okay. Um, okay, let's see. Yeah, Richard said Josh tru- truly loves pedals. I, I absolutely think he does. There's no question about that. And I'm missing, I'm trying to pop. Uh, uh, Omer says, have you, uh, wants to know what I think of Novo guitars? Are they any good? I, I have never played a Novo guitar. I own a Fano guitar that is a Fano pre the current Fano. So, so basically Fano is, was originally the owner of Novo had Fano and then he sold it. And I think the operation here in Arizona has it. Um, I'd love to try some of their guitars. I even offered to go to their shop and film a little bit and it just never came to anything. It never, it never, never led to anything. Um, so, you know, I'm always open again. I'm always open to have any of those guitars, especially like I said, I like the deep dive format. Now that's how I want every company kind of to work. That's what I want to see is like, we just do a guitar and we get into what it is about that guitar that's unique or different what's good quality, what's bad quality and, and take some of the, my opinions out and more just information. I like that. It makes it easier for me to make the video. Uh, cause I don't have to like think about it so hard. <laughs> Sometimes you're like, do I like this? Do I hate this? You know, it's easier just to say, this is what's good. This is what's maybe not so good. And you guys decide at the end. Um, but I'm, I have not tried an actual Novo, but I can't imagine the Novo would be much different quality than my Fano that was made by Dennis Fano. So uh, I should pull that guitar out. I've had it for a long time. So there's a couple guitars that I just don't have in rotations and I never bring them in this room. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. They, sometimes I forget about guitars that are like, I have, you know, older. Um, uh, let's, uh, we'll be right back. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your, in your little, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We all, we all artists over here, man. I'm trying, oh, yeah, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying, oh, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. yeah. Me, me, me. Yo, look, 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 look. We all artists, man. We go, you feel me? We going to have this, like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kai, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right with this shit. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right there for for. Oh, I gotta don't play with it. Don't play with it. No. Take that shit. Sir. Yeah, somebody's saying RJ RJ Rinculio's, uh, uh got a few. Well, I think he's got a signature model, doesn't he? I thought that's what I understood. Um. So there you go. Uh, all right, let's uh, let me hop around. I know I still have a couple early questions too. And oh, this one's easy. Uh, this one's from Steve says he's putting together a parts ca- caster with a telly and he wants to know tips for pu- uh, putting the bridge location and keeping it straight. Um, I have a video called the beer caster where I did a crimson guitars kit. And in that video, I show how I cinder up the bridge and install it. So if you watch that video, just go to the beer caster video. 
that's how I did it. So obviously from that, you should be able to, to see. Um, I've been doing it that way for many, many years. And to be honest with you, I didn't know he taught it to me. I just saw it like you will probably see. I saw somebody do it that way and then I did it and it worked the first time. I like I must have lucked out. And then ever since then, it's always worked. So I've been doing it that way for a couple of decades. No problem. Uh, Deja video voodoo. Deja voodoo says if you, Oh, I already did this. Sorry, buddy. I did your, who could, would I interview? Um, this one's a, a one I want to talk about. Robert M says, Hey, Phil, any tips or tricks for setups for metal players who always tune down most guidance for stand is for standard. Yes. Most setup guidance, especially on your line is going to be standard tuning. There's a, there's a weird pushback. I've said this before. Originally in my very first videos, I was always tuned to half step down. I used to tune a half step down. I don't know why I like it. I like playing half step down. It's cool. And, uh, you know, obviously I would have a guitar tuned for standard if I had to go jam with somebody because that's a standard is very common. But for me personally playing, I'd always play half step down. And, uh, when I would do that in videos, people were like, your guitar is out of tune. It's half step down. I'm like, I don't know if it's out of tune. It's just a half step down. <laughs> so, so anyways, uh, the whole guitar. So, um, I understand what you're saying. So that's why a lot of people probably don't do setups for, uh, you know, down tuned instruments. What I can tell you is this, uh, when I do setups, one thing I have to think about is like, I have to think about it in steps, a process. I have a process because I need to be able to, when someone's unhappy, go back in the process and figure out what is what is it in that process that's that's causing the problem. So a lot of times when I've shown setup work in my videos, there's a lot of like a guitar techiness to it in the idea that it's like, this is how I do it. This is how I measure. This is where I check. Um, what I will tell you though, when you do your own setups, that's all good advice. You could watch a ton of great, uh, there's a great repair channels, great uh, tech channels on YouTube uh, that are far superior to mine in a lot of ways. So you could watch their videos, you could watch my videos. It doesn't really matter. You just watch a couple, right? If you watch a couple, you get a sense of like how everybody's kind of doing it. It's not not rocket science. But one thing you don't see a whole lot of is doing your own setups. What I will tell you is the best advice I'll give somebody when they're doing their own setups is um, set up your guitar. When you're setting up your guitar, uh, play your guitar through your normal rig and listen to it that way. And what I mean by that is I can do, uh, I would say in a any one of my videos, uh, I'm going to do a setup and not only is it going to be standard, but it's also going to be through a clean amp and I'm going to be using a tuner, right? You know, big tuner, you know, right? Some kind of Peterson and a process. But what I will tell you is if you're a metal player, plug in your amp distorted and play, you know, play it. Play the guitar, make adjustment, play the guitar, make adjustment. Um, because of the fact that you want, that's what the rock stars do for years, especially before they got guitar techs, you know, right? A lot of them, they would just set up their own instruments and you just adjust it to what plays great. And all you're looking for is the sweet spot. There, there is no, I want to say no, obviously there's anomalies, but there is, other than anomalies, there's no spot where a guitar has amazing action and sounds amazing. Somewhere there's got to be a compromise. Very rarely is there a guitar with the exact action you love, with the exact sound you want. Um, in my experience, I play guitars with the action a little low, and yet they record horribly because obviously they're buzzing a little bit. And so I adjust some guitars to be a little higher because they record really well and they sound really good, but they're not my preferred uh, action. And then of course there's an anomaly. There's that one guitar that does it all. So in, in your case, I would say the same thing. Um, just, just play your guitar and make your adjustments and find the spot where you're like, okay, it's not dead. The notes aren't dead. And especially if you're doing metal, you're doing lots of distortion. You don't have to worry about the notes 
decaying so fast. And that's one of the things what, what's great about shredding is that you get action low. Action, low action, essentially, the problem is besides it buzzes, if it gets too low, it's buzzing. But before the buzz or the dead notes, you get to this point where you can tell the no, note decays. It doesn't sustain long enough. Well, that's what distortion's for. It's going to add that sustain back in. It's just going to do that. So when you do a, you know, when you're shredding, or if you're shredding, man, you're moving fast, you don't need the sustain. <laughs> Old lame dudes like me need sustain. That's how I, that's, that's how I'm, I'm like, listen to this bend, man. This is my emotion coming out of this thing. Um, if I obviously could arpeggiate, 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 if I could play fast, if I played like Bonamassa or, or Ingve or Rusty Cooley, <laughs> I wouldn't sit there and hang on a pentatonic bend for a half hour. Um, that's what I have to do because that's the that's what I could do. You know, I, I play, I like my playing. I like my style. However, I'm not as good as I I, I want to be. And I work on that constantly, it's a, but it's been a long, long road. So I've learned to make the best of what I have. So in your case, maybe a dead note uh, is or a note that decays too fast isn't a problem. So just go ahead and... and and do that. And then always remember, of course, that if you're going to down tune, you got to increase the gauge of your strings. Um, you don't have to, you should. Uh, I have players that have come to me. <laughs> I, I dropped C in nines in nines. I was like, you're kidding, right? I'm like, no. And then they go, no buzz. And you're like, okay, seriously, is this April 1st? What's going on? And, uh, but I actually remember one customer in particular, they wanted tens. So it was tens and they were drop C and they want, and, and here's what's funny though. I was like, oh, it's going to be a little tough, man. 10 to 46. I mean, that's better than nine to 42s for that. But, you know, usually I want to go 11 52s minimum for that. And, uh, what was great was that they said the magic saying, they said, yeah, no, 10 to 46 drop C, C across. And I go, uh, okay. And they go, and I don't care if it buzzes. And I'm like, all right, because <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> Just dialed it in, found it to where it sounded good and they shredded on it. It sounded amazing. I think they were playing through a, an angle and it sounded full and throaty and sounded great. But of course, I bet you if you, uh, even clean, because I'm dated pick throughs and stuff, but I bet you if you strummed some big old cowboy chords on that thing, it would sound like a buzzy, snarly mess. Um, but, you know, again, it's, it's, that's what's great. You have to, you have to find the sweet spot. So with you, that's my suggestion to you is uh, adjust it and plug through your rig and play your style and then make your adjustments from there. That's all you got to do. It's like I said, every, most, most of the instruction on YouTube is going to be formatted the way I've done it, which is a step process because it's just easier to communicate that. So um, most guitar players I've met, professional ones, when I talk about how they do their setups and stuff, and it's the most cockamamie crazy thing that they, and it works. <laughs> that's that's some interviews i should start doing how asking guitar players how they sell the guitars you will you know what i should do that i don't know why i never thought about asking that i just don't think that's something a zoom call could do so it'd have to be in person so if i ever get the opportunity to hang out with any of these guitar players in a one-on-one -on -one, i would love to get a, their guitar have it put on the bench and ask them how they set it up because i bet you you would be as shocked as i was uh to hear all the crazy ways that they say stuff like it just you'd it just all the things that somebody is ranting on a thread or a YouTube video about how you should never do. That's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> it's almost like wrong answers only, please. And yet that's all they would do. So, uh, okay. Next, next question, uh, says, uh, what does it says? It says, what does it says? It's, uh, it says, 
Uh, Maddie Two Hats says, "How? Hey Phil, love the show. Thank you. Do you think PRS SE, so that's the import, will ever make a McCarty model based on the core model?" Uh, happy Saturday uh, from Australia. Um, yeah, I think so. Jack uh, runs SE now. Jack Higginbotham. I've done some interviews with him, and I think he's really putting some effort in the SE line. And I, we already know they're going to come out the DGT. That's that's obviously coming soon. When we don't know, but the DGT is coming. Uh, Dave Grissom's already leaked it. I said to Jack, uh, he said, uh, so you know, this is because it feels. I, when I was interviewing him once, pre-interview, pre the recording process, we were discussing and talking and and, and kind of. Uh, you know, chatting, and he said, hey, don't tell anybody, but we're going to come out with David Grissom uh, SE, and I said, oh, I think David Grissom already mentioned that in, a, in an interview he just did, and he's like, really, he did? <laughs> and I said, yeah, <laughs> and he goes, okay, uh, so that's coming, so I wouldn't see why not all the other ones are coming. Um, there's a couple things you have to understand that that's uh, the SEs and Cortec, and I talked about it on a couple of the SEs I, I reviewed, is that for the longest time, a lot of these import uh, instruments, especially from Indonesia, I just talk about Indonesia because that's where they're coming from, but Korea too, a lot of them, they didn't stain those guitars. They spray them. Um, and st staining is a tricky thing to do on veneers because if any of you have ever worked on veneers and staining, um, sometimes when you stain something, you you mis make mistakes and you can sand it and then you, you, know, you restain it and you can... And uh, if you ever do a veneer, you can stand through a veneer like in a second, especially when you think about it on an employee level, right? You're talking about employees that are uh, really good at doing this thing over and over and over again. So once something happens that's out of that parameters, it gets a little difficult, right? So you're not dealing with a trade. Uh, uh, you're dealing with a skill set of a factory worker, but not the skill set of like a luthier, right? With with years and years of dedicated experience to all these situations. So um, it's kind of new to see guitars, whether you guys realize it or not, it's new to see guitars stained in, in, in Indonesia and Korea, like we are seeing now, um, to you guys, probably most of you were probably thinking, oh yeah, they've been stained for years. Like I, Schecter's are stained. No, they spray those, right? It's a spraying process. The spraying is a lot different because it's kind of like it's controlled again. It's a, con a controlled thing. So why I mentioned that is you got to understand the core line of Paul Reed Smith are all stained and they have specific ways that they make them look. And so part of the part of the reluctance to make the SEs do certain things, the core, I'm sure, has to do with the fact that they are not weren't constructed the exact same ways. So I say I think as they've kind of improved those processes overseas, I think you'll see see more and more cores in the SEs. Plus, uh, if you if you think like me, I think it's all designed to go overseas. I think everyone. Oh, man, sorry, too broad of a stroke. I understand that. I think most major manufacturers uh, are set up and designed right now to push more and more for an over an import instrument. Um, I think that's the, the the goal. I think that's whether they even know it. Maybe they don't know it. Maybe they go to meetings and they're like, oh, we can't wait to make more guitars in the USA. But if you look at them, it seems like the, you know, and I think that's because of a profit margin thing, right? A business is essentially a, a thing that has to make profit. And at the end of the day, especially when you have investors, you know, if you're one person and you own a company and you have a nice car and, you know, things are good, maybe you don't care. Okay. But when you're a bunch of partners and you're looking for a dividend check at the end of the year or a bunch of investors that are looking for a dividend payout at the end of the year, uh, you start looking at all kinds of things and it's no, uh, there's no, um, you know, no secret to the fact that import instruments are way more profitable 
way more to the point where, and by the way, that goes contradictory to almost every comment I see in almost every video where they're like, you know, it's all like the reason they get that price for the American guitar, it's all just marked up. I'm like, yeah, it is marked up, but you got to understand it's like, trust me, no company that I've interviewed, especially off the record has ever told me, man, we're killing it with the U S line. We just got to get the import line kicking. Like every single company goes, uh, I've told you two, two different companies who I can't tell you who, because of that, uh, it was off the record. Um, but I can tell you at least what they, you know, not who said it, but what was said was they didn't even know why they still made USA guitars. There was, it's uh, there, the working theory for some companies right now is that USA guitars are just a business model of advertisement. In other words, it gets people excited and talking about them. It's the dream guitar. And then you go into the store and you go, well, I'm not spending five grand for this. So maybe if I spend $700 for this, and then you convince yourself that this $700 one is as good as the $5,000 one because it's pretty close. <laughs> so it's not hard to convince yourself of that. It's not like you're like, this is a turd and that's great. It's like, this is good and that's a little better. Um, it's uh, it's one of the reasons I think that a lot of companies kind of focus on that. And don't get me wrong, there's still profit because they've, they've jacked up the prices. But I think still you're going to see a lot of companies every year, more and more imports. It's just going to be the it's going to be the thing. So. It's no different than any other industry. Yeah, Sean says the U.S. line is just to establish credibility. Absolutely. There's a reason why a lot of companies come out with high-end models first, you know, and then come out with the lower price models. It's just how it works. So, um, so you know, that's that's my take on that. So that's a long way of saying, yeah, I think they're going to have a McCarty SE. Because I don't see why they wouldn't. Um, okay, hold on. Uh, Jay Martinez wants to know, hey, Phil, what, curious, he's curious, or they're curious, he just says Jay. Um, oh, I have to tell you a funny story. Uh, Jay, I'm sorry to interrupt your uh, question for the funny story, just because, uh, it's just made me chuckle. Uh, Jay Martinez is the letter J Martinez. Um, so if you guys follow me on Instagram, which I don't know why you would, because I post like three things, uh, <laughs> uh, Dovidas was in town. So Dovidas moved from Florida to California to uh, the Beverly Hills. That's the place you got to be. Uh, that's literally where he went. Uh, so anyways, on the way, he calls me in Texas and says, hey, I'm going to be going through Arizona. We got to hang out. So he came and we hung out and uh, two things happened that was uh, good and one thing was bad. Uh, the thing was bad was, uh, I, my wife heard him say it. I did not hear him say it. He, I guess when he came in the house, uh, I, I heard him, his, my wife heard him say that he's allergic to animals, cats and dogs, and I have cats and dogs. So his allergies were killed. We went, we hung out in the backyard and sat, sat in the backyard a long time and he was, he was fine. Uh, you know, but, uh, his allergies were killing him. So we went out, me and him went out and we had a good time. And then, uh, we came back to the house and we goofed off and played amps and hung out in the shop and hung out in the backyard. And, um, during this conversation, uh, uh, the, uh, funny thing came up that my middle, my middle name, <laughs> my middle name is, uh, and I'm not going to tell you why yet. So I'll tell you some other day on another show, but my middle, I have two middle names and one is Jasper, uh, like Casper the ghost, but with a J and my other middle name is the letter J. <laughs> so my name is J Jasper is my middle name. Um, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> anyway, so I just saw somebody, when I saw your name was J, the letter J, I'm like, I don't know if you just put the initial there, but am I actually, one of my middle names is just the letter J, <laughs> which 
gets really confusing I, uh, for a lot of reasons, because a lot of people, when I say J Jasper in my middle name, they think it's J-A-Y. And I'm like, no, it's just the letter J. And they're like, just the letter? Let, I'm like, just the letter J. It's like it's actually J period Jasper on my driver's license. So that's not a very interesting story, but I thought I'd tell it. But there you go. Other than that, it was a great time. It was awesome to see Dovey Doss. I hopefully go go to California and see him again. Um, uh, Jay Martinez says, hey, Phil, curious to know what your favorite Friedman amp is and why. Twin sister, small box, other. I have the small box. I have the twin sister. I prefer the twin sister. Uh, the small box is great. The uh, I... Uh, the, the, the Friedman story is the only way I can explain it that will make sense to anyone is this. My first Friedman amp was the Runt 20. I bought that amp. I really liked it. If I wasn't crazy and didn't have gear math and didn't have curiosity like a cat, I would have kept the Runt and been happy my whole life. I was fine with the Runt, but then I decided one day if the Runt's good, then the Pink Taco has to be better because it's hand-wired. So I got the Pink Taco and it was great, except it doesn't have a clean channel. And though, so then I decided, uh, no, then Friedman and, uh, well, boutique amps, uh, sent the JJ Jr. out, which is the runt with the higher gain channel. So, so you guys know the JJ Jr. JJ Jr. and the runt are the same exact amp, they're the same platform, same cleans, same everything. Just the JJ has more gain, which I think is better than the runt because it looks a little cooler and you get more gain. You can always turn it down, turn the gain down. And uh, again, even more happy than I was with the pink taco and I should have been totally happy. Um, but I uh, decided that, no, I'm still not happy. I need the twin, uh, the dirty Shirley Mini. So I got that. Each one, of course, cycling the amps, right? So, so uh, love the dirty Shirley Mini. Happy. I was totally happy. I never needed anything. It's in, it was in so many videos. If you guys remember, I was using it all the time. Life was good. I could roll the volume off of my guitar and get a clean... And I was, I was, it was like the Marshall I always wanted in my life. And then, uh, they sent out, uh, Friedman Amps sent out the twin sister for review and I fell in love. And then that amp had to go cause it had to, I think it went to Brett Papa as who they sent it. Uh, cause I remember I had to ship it and I think that's who I was shipping it to. So it went to Brett Papa and, uh, then I couldn't get out of my head, but this is during the pandemic. You couldn't buy one. They couldn't get me one. I couldn't find one anywhere. So I bought the small box 50. So uh, that's why I ended up small box 50 it was kind of like, well, I'll have two channels. It's kind of do things that are similar to the, the twin sister. And then, uh, over a year later, I was on uh reverb as you are sometimes. And a dealer got a, a twin sister in that was a hundred dollars less than map and it had a make an offer button which is something you don't see it was a brand new amp but it was a new dealer it just got delivered they just got it and i sent an offer and they took it i was like oh i can't believe this because you know again it's pandemic you couldn't buy one a deal so um so anyways uh that's why i have a twin sister and i for some reason should you know i don't need the small box anymore because i have the twin sister so to answer your question, my favorite one is the twin sister. That's a long way to uh, explain it, but I want to explain how I, how I ended up there. But I also have to tell you that as much as I love it, and I don't think I'll get rid of it, uh, the new uh, Bad Cat, uh, Black Cat amp. So you guys know there's a new Bad Cat series of amps coming out. There's four new amps from Bad Cat. They're totally redesigned. One, Three are redesigned, and one is a totally new amp, the Bad Cat, Black Cat uh, is the new amp. It doesn't come out till next month, uh, the new series. And, um, the thing that's important is, 
is that, um, what's important? The thing that's important <laughs> that I can't remember is that uh, Peter, Peter Aarons, that's what I'm trying to remember. Uh, some of you guys will know Peter Aarons from the company Ampete. Uh, Peter Aarons was a designer at uh, Boutique. He helped redesign the uh, Saldana amps. He helped work on Synergy amps. He did a bunch of stuff. He's a super genius. I've interviewed him before. Uh, amazing, amazing electrical engineer on every level. And he left uh, Boutique Amps Distribution, which is those brands. And he now works at Bad Cat and helped redesign all the Bad Cat amps. And what I can tell you is that I'm not supposed to tell you, but uh, John, the owner of Bad Cat's a close friend, and I think he'll only be a little bad at, mad at me, like the kind of mad where he's like, he might laugh right now if he's watching this. Uh, <laughs> um, the Bad Cat, Black Cat head, I have the combo, but the head is less money than the Twin Sisters. So this is what I'm trying to tell you to consider this because this is coming. So if you're going to make a purchase, be aware that in 30 days, this is going to be available to you. Uh, 100% American-made amp made pretty much where where they make the Friedman amps. This amp is a uh, has a clean channel that is killer like the Twin Sister, but it has reverb and tremolo and a gain that is, on, in my opinion, on par with the twin sister in every way. And I say on par in the idea that I love both amps. And if I had to pick one amp right now, it would be the bad cat only from the sheer idea that I love them both. They sound slightly different, but really close, slightly different, but, but having reverb and tremolo in that amp and is pretty amazing. And it's a, uh, and it's a uh, less money, even though it's still made in the USA. So be aware that's coming. So to my answer to you is out of my free frame amps is the t twin sister. If you're thinking about getting one, it's $3,000 with an amp. This, their amp is sub $2,000. So 3,000 is crazy. 2,000 is crazy. We get that. But I'm telling you, it's a $1,200 difference in price. And you're going to get an amp that's got more features and some really kick-ass features that I can't tell you. I can tell you that part. I just can't tell you the secret about the features. The features are, it's not just what, that it has those other features. They're pretty kick-ass. So there you go. Uh, uh, Brian S. Guitar wants to know, does it have, does the Bad Cat have an effects loop? This is where I'll slowly start the slope of getting in trouble. Not only does it have an effects loop, um, it has the tremolo is foot switchable, which is cool. The, obviously the channels are foot switchable on that amp. And by the way, there's different iterations of the amp. I'm just telling you the one I have, which is the black cat, which is the more just, it's the middle one with the middle gain, like I said, kind of like the twin sisters gain. And not only does it have an effects loop, which is really, really good. And it's super quiet. No noise. There's no noise in this effects loop. There's no noise in this amp. They really built, overbuilt this amp, but, uh, what I love is the reverb runs in parallel to the effects loop so that if you run delay in your effects loop or anything in your effects loop, your reverb, it's not in the, it's not in series. So it, it, it's really crazy. You'll see it when the, when the, my, I'll be doing a review. There's other channels that are doing demos that are really good. I got to see a couple of the demos that are really cool from some of the channels and uh, you'll see the release and they're doing the right thing. The release is being pushed because they're, they, they want them in stock when the videos hit. That's all they ask. So uh, there you go. So get you excited about that. Like I said, the only thing I can't tell you is they're not cheap. They're expensive. They're less money than what, if you're looking at the Freeman stuff, they're a little less money, of course, but they're not in, they're not inexpensive by any means. So uh, 
Ellen. Hold on a second. Just reading some comments and stuff. Uh, da, da, da. <laughs> just... I don't know. I'm seeing comments, but I don't see a question. So let me go to another question. This one's from Alex. It says, have, have I ever played a real 59 burst? I've played three of them. I'll tell you a funny story about those. Uh, it says, how about the Chris Durig or the Max Burnett? No, I haven't. Oh, I haven't played the replicas. I have a 59 replica uh, from from Gibson. It's not on that level, the Chris Durig or the Max Burnett. Um, oh, no. Sorry, sorry. Don't back up. Yes, I have played two Max Burnett replicas. I have a video about that. Uh, the video is called like this guitar, this fake Gibson costs more than your car. I think that's what the title is. That's what I titled originally, but over the years, maybe we retitled it. Um, so Alex, uh, so I have played two, three, three real 59 Les Pauls and I've played two Max Barnett, uh, replica Les Pauls. And then I have a Gibson R9, which is their, you know, crazy expensive, but not super crazy expensive, whatever. I don't even know how to explain that. It's just, it's an R, obviously. So uh, do you think any guitars from the last 10 to 20 years will reach the burst hype status in the 50 years? Yeah. Yeah. It will happen. Uh, of course, by nature, the, the craziness always replicates itself. Um, so let me get into this. So I played three bursts, or sorry, I've played three 59 Les Pauls, uh, and all of them were at high end dealers. And there's a thing about them that I think I, I, I just, a theory I have, this is important because sometimes I can disseminate when I'm like giving you something that may be accurate versus something is just something I have in my head. This is something I just think in my head. There's no foundation for what I'm about to give you. So I need to be very legally clear. This is just a random opinion. Um, I've been to three different high-end dealers around the world. I've been to many, but three specific high-end dealers around the world. And when you're a YouTube personality, uh, they kind of treat you like a, a like a a rock star. I, I can't say like a D level rock star or anything, just like a rock star. I don't know what it is. Like I've I've gone into a lot of these really high end stores and you know I can't afford anything in them. <laughs> so but I go in and um because obviously you're you they know you. I mean you walk in and they're like, oh that's the guy from YouTube. It's the know your gear guy. I mean they're very on top of it. Um they they and most of the time I was always with some a lot of times I was with some other YouTubers, so it's just even better because you have some bigger name YouTubers with you. And anyways, uh one of the things they do is like, you gotta play our 59 Les Paul. <laughs> so they hand it to you. I think I've told this story before. And they hand you this expensive guitar and you play it. And so I've played them at three different stores. You know, I plugged in and you play it for uh, five, 10 minutes, you know, there's, you know, and uh, get a sense of it. Um, and that, and that, like I said, I played a Dumble once, a real Dumble once, and the same vibe. It's like, it's not. I'm not playing through my amp. I'm not, I'm not at home. I'm not really using all of my stuff. I don't know what, uh, you know, what, <laughs> what it is. Uh, I can't tell you what was magical about them other than the fact of a fear of the fact that I'm holding a guitar that costs a quarter of a million to half a million dollars in theory. And, uh, you know, you just don't want to be the one that gets in trouble with it. So this is the problem I had with it is that all of them is when I was playing them as, as much as I could tell you what it felt like or sounded like, I'd also tell you like it was a constant feeling of, I can't wait to give this back you know, hand this back. You're like, I'm not going to buy this. I'm not buying anything like this. 
and I don't want it <laughs> and I can't afford it anyways. Um, and uh, what I was going to tell you was the part, that part's true. The part that I think is my theory is I noticed that every high-end dealer seems to have a 59 Les Paul. And I, my theory is, is because it's just there to, to draw people in to buy the other stuff they will buy. So because every time it seems like wherever I go in the world, if you go anywhere near a high-end dealer, some other guitar players that are talking to you, or whether that's me or some other YouTube channel or whatever, they go, oh, we have to go to blah, blah, blah. They have a real 59 Les Paul. <laughs> You're like, oh. And you go there. And uh, sometimes it was in a glass case. Uh, one dealer, it was in a glass case in their basement. Uh, one dealer, it was... I don't know where it was because they brought it out. So I think it was in a, a room, a small room with other guitars in a glass uh, with glass windows that was locked. They're always locked away and they bring them out. And uh, again, I, I don't know how to translate that. Uh, I could argue, you know, if the argument was, is it much better than my Gibson R9? I couldn't even argue it's much, much better than a really nice Epiphone. I mean, it's better. It sounded a little better. It felt a little nicer and a little broken in. But I mean, it's, it's tough, right? It's tough to explain this stuff. Um, I think it, uh, I don't know. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> so yes, I have those. Now the Max Barnett's, if you guys don't know what he's talking about is obviously famously, there are some builders who make clones of Gibson, uh, original 59 Les Pauls. And, uh, the two builders he mentioned are by far the, the, the two biggies, uh, you know, I'm oh, sorry, let's go back. Um, the uh, Chris Durig and Max uh, Barnett. Um, I have a, a funny story uh, about Max uh, was I got two of them and I got to borrow them. Those I get, did get to bring home and play them. And again, I couldn't wait to get them out of my house because they're like 30 grand a piece is what they go for. They could go as high as that, 30 grand. Sometimes you can find them for the $20,000, but they ain't, <laughs> they're 30 grand. They're, they're not cheap. And uh, so like the last thing I wanted was two, two guitars worth $60,000. I remember putting them in my truck going, my truck's not worth $60,000. This is crazy. <laughs> Right. And so, and I took them back and gave them to the owner and, uh, I did the video and the video was one of my early first like viral videos. Like it popped. And I remember Max Barnett called me and, uh, said, Hey, I liked your video. And I'm like, cool. And he goes, um, I don't really want any grief from Gibson. Can you, can you make sure people don't share it? <laughs> and I remember being so new to YouTube, I didn't know what to say. So I just said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't know because it wasn't like you said take the video down or change the title or anything he's like could you just like get people not to share it so much and I'm like yeah he's like because I don't want you to take it down it's a really good video and I'm like okay and he's like but if you could get people not to share it that'd be great and I'm like all right <laughs> <laughs> and then I think I asked him a couple questions about guitars. Um, so, you know, Max, I don't know much about Chris. I know Max, a lot of it was he made kits. You know, he made the kit, the parts to make these guitars. And then you put together these 59 Les Pauls. So more so than he made them. Very few are actually built by Max is my understanding. But back to the thing that people don't understand is uh, famously slash when he played on like appetite i guess or when he plays you know he had maxes or chris Derricks, he had the fake 59 Les pauls he didn't have the real ones these replicas um these guys were noteworthy to, to the point where they they started making these before gibson knew to make these and i have heard from reliable sources but again again it's just a rumor like any rumor could be but it, that at some point, maybe these two guys even have interacted over the years with Gibson in a capacity of, of like a consultation, either helping Gibson figure out if a guitar was real or maybe even helping with them revamp the lines, the reissues. 
I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that stuff. But, you know, it makes sense. It makes sense to me. I mean, that some of these guys would... I know some guitar collectors, like vintage collectors, that are so on point and on their game. Uh, you know, if I was a company, I would hire them because there's they, they've... Uh, uh, even one guitar collector I know, didn't he... Uh, he uh, I think he famously found one of the fake Beatles guitars in one of the museums. He detected it <laughs> because the museum didn't even know. So, uh, there you go. That's my story about 59 Les Pauls. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Guitar 1952 says, but Max used the real 59 wood from the Parsons Street. Uh, yes. So, if you watch the video, I talk about it. They use the original high glues. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of comments in that video. I love it because there's so many people are like, I think this is pre the concept of, uh, in my videos, of people understood that I was doing what I do, which is I kind of like to play, not devil's advocate, but I like to just tell you, I like to just act like the information makes sense. In other words, just tell you the information. Sometimes, uh, so, so back, why I'm saying that is sometimes people are like, you know, animal high glue. <laughs> like they were talking to me like, I'm like, I'm just telling you what what they did. I don't really tell you whether or not how I feel about it. Like, so some people read read it as I was promoting those those type of features, but really I could care less. Just like all this stuff, I'm more interested in. I want to know why they did it. You know what's cool about it. I'll I'll let my ears and my hands decide when I play a guitar if it's if it's if it's real to me. Most of the time, what do I know? I play Schecters and think they're great. Uh. Uh. Patman says, have you made any purchases based on what your favorite guitar player has played? Absolutely. That's half my purchases. I'm totally a sucker for it. Are you, I love live music. I love bands. I love it so much. I totally relate to uh, sports fans buying jerseys and paying crazy money for a signed football and all the crap they do. Uh, absolutely, I am that way. I'm not really into the signatures and the autographs and stuff, but I'm into absolutely that. In fact, not only do I buy signature guitars, I own guitars just because. So, for instance, let me explain. I have a Fender Journeyman 61 Strat. I have a Fender Journeyman 64 Strat. I have those Strats because I'm a huge, massive fan of Biffy Clyro. And that's another reason why I love the Supersonic. He's notoriously uses the Supersonic. He uses a a uh, PV Classic, and he uses a Hot Rod Deluxe and a Metal Zone. <laughs> and I'm not making that up. Uh, and uh, he runs his Strat through a Metal Zone into a P PV Classic and a Hot Rod Deluxe, or sometimes he uses the Supersonic. And uh, that's why I have those guitars. That's why I have a Metal Zone, uh, without a doubt. Uh, and I can say I have a Les Paul because of Slash. That's why I have a Les Paul. It's because Slash, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Slash, uh, Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators fan. I've seen them three times live. Um, Guns N' Roses, I like them a lot, but I'm I'm bigger fan of because I'm a huge Alter Bridge fan, Tremonti fan, and then, uh, and then of course Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators with Slash. So yeah, no, I absolutely <laughs> like whatever artist does that. I'm like, oh, I love that artist. Uh, you can you can almost see the logic of why I pulled that guitar in. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, I, I don't know why. Just like anybody, I get excited about it. This is what I love to do. This is what I love to do with my money and my time. And, you know, plugging a Strat into a metal zone in, <laughs> into a Fender amp and playing Biffy Clyro songs is just epically amazing for me. I just love it. Um, I play Mesa Boogie because of Bowling for Soup. 
it, like I said, almost every decision is based on just a band. It's just some band I like, and I go, okay, I gotta have that gear. Uh, and and then and then I find my own voice. I hope, I hope. So. Yeah, uh, Willful Tinkerer says, I wrapped a guitar in snakeskin due to Warren D. Martini. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. It's like, you know, a lot of us remember before you could get the signature guitars, you just found ways to give, you know, give your guitars that look and stuff. Um, you know, I I just I just find that I, the worst thing that can happen to me is I go to a show. <laughs> I go to a show live and I listen to them and I have such a great time with the show. It's like that week, it's very volatile for me. I can... You know, I can just be like, I need, I'll buy all the crap I saw at this show. Um, if the uh, only thing that stops me is my physical limitations of my wallet, I will literally do it all. I'm that stupid. Um, and uh, I don't know what it is. I just like to, I like to be in that moment in my head with uh, guitar players, you know, and there's down to the colors of my guitars, I can actually go through and explain uh, why I like, you know, a lot of people mention this. I have a, Nuno Bittencourt in four because I'm a huge Nuno fan, but it's swirled. It's a swirled finish. Uh, I had this done because I'm a huge Nuno Bittencourt fan and Steve Vai fan. And, um, but I am a massive Nuno Bittencourt fan and uh, I love Extreme and I love his tone and I like his playing and I love the way Steve Vai guitars looked. I always liked Steve. I like Steve the way he, I like listening to Steve talk. Obviously, I appreciate him as a guitar player, but. I'm definitely more of a Nuno fan. And so one day I was like, okay, I want a guitar that's like Nuno and Steve I mixed together. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know why. It's just, just dumb. So, all right. I say those stories so that you guys at home can go, I don't have it that bad. I'm not as bad as this jagoff. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. Um, Vim69 says, great interview with Ola. Thanks for the great stuff. Have a fun Halloween weekend. Is it a Halloween weekend? It is. Thank you. I will. I will try and have a good Halloween weekend. I know it's on Monday. I keep forgetting that. Um, we all float here, says, hi, hey, Phil. Uh, have a three-way switch that is only giving neck bridge, neck bridge, and bridge with current wiring. Any ideas where I could have gone wrong? Schecter C1 Classic. So three-way switch, uh, C1 Classic. What I don't know, because you said three-way switch, and I can't remember. I want to think that's a that's a toggle switch and not a blade switch. And it three uh, classic. That looks like a blade switch to me. I would have swore that was a five way switch on that guitar. So I don't think that's original. Or you switched it because I'm thinking this the this the Schecter C1 Classic was a five way switch. So uh, you're getting neck bridge and then bridge. Um, I mean, obviously, what's the problem? The problem is it's not wired correctly. The, the question becomes, how is it wired? What I will tell you is this. If you have a three-way blade switch, let's just talk, talk about what I think you might have. Because you're saying the C, C1, Schecter C1 Classic. The C, Schecter C1 Classic that I know, the ones that I've worked on, were blade switches. So let's start with that. What you want your switch to go to, uh, you can go to Seymour Duncan. You can just go to Google. Google Telecaster Wiring Diagram. 
Okay. And what I want you to do is look at that diagram and look at your switching components. If you have a three-way blade switch in that guitar, you have a volume and tone and two humbucker pickups, two pickups, that's all that matters. Then you should be wired up pretty much like a Telecaster. If you follow that diagram, you'll be dead on. Um, uh, one thing that you have to think about when diagrams is it's instinctive for us to think that like, you know, every guitar should be different, but really it's just the same couple dozen wiring schematics over and over and over and over again. And so in that wiring schematic, in that situation, I would say it's a telly. Now, if you do have a, a toggle switch and not a blade, which I don't know why, because like I said, my recollection of the C1 Classic is that it has a blade switch. Um, now you would want to look at a Gibson Les Paul diagram. And don't worry that it has two volumes and two tones. Just look at the switching and the pickups and just make sure. But that's what's happening. If something's not connected. You got to understand the way the switch is really kind of working is like, it's like bridge on, neck on and then both on. So somewhere there's not, those two aren't connected for your center position. And so, um, and if you're doing it right on a blade switch, there should be a wire touching four tabs and that's, and that's what's connecting it. And so sometimes that wire isn't touching or sometimes some people like they jump that wire and they don't use any kind of wrapper on the wire. It's exposed and it grounds out and then it doesn't work there. So that's what I would, that's where I would start. <laughs> Glenn says, Miles Kennedy, he's talking about Miles Kennedy. I just liked it. Miles Kennedy's a, a, a better guitarist than both the leads in those bands. He's, you know, he's underrated as hell, Miles Kennedy. He's an amazing player. That's what happens when you have a great voice. You know, that's what they want to go to is your voice. But no, he's a great guitar player for sure. <laughs> Michael says, the Swirl Nuno is genius. Two heroes only take up one string tree. Yes, yes. That was kind of the logic. I do have the gym, floral gym now, but when I did that, that was kind of like, that was exactly the plan. But then I got an opportunity to do a trade with my friend to get us a floral gem, so now I have a floral gem. But uh, I never play it. It sits in a case all the time. I'm afraid to mess it up. <laughs> the when I, when I got the floral gem, uh, it was worth, it's worth three times more now than when I did the trade. And as it goes up in value and as they become super rare, because this one's in perfect. It looks like it came out of, it's like brand new. They just keep going up in price and it's not an investment for me. I'm just, I'm just, I just haven't nicked it or dinged it or done anything. And I'm just afraid that to be, I hate guitars I'm afraid of <laughs> and I can't get rid of it because it was my friends and we did the trade and I just don't feel like I want to profiteer off that. And I guess I could reach out to him and say, Hey, like let's split it up the money or something like that. But in the mean, meanwhile, I just pull it out and strum it for a little while. It's really cool. But the new, no, I just play the hell out of, I don't care <laughs> because once I repainted it, I pretty much killed its value. Um, so that's what I like about it. Uh, we have, and then the next one is, uh, I think it's Needham. I need him, need him. I'm gonna say need him. I'm probably doing it wrong, man. I'm, Oh, I'm pretty sure he's got Nedmondo, Nedamondo. I'm going to say Nedamondo. Either way, man, let's, this is push power through this. It says, Hey, uh, fret bruz, fret bruz, fret bruz, fret buzz, fret bruz. I promise there's only water in my coffee cup. Fret buzz on my Shiji, Shiji, sorry, fret buzz on my Shiji STE. They didn't cut the three fret slots enough a tech fixed it but there's still some buzz on the low e any tips uh pay another tech no no um 
Okay, so let me walk through this. You're getting fret bras on the guitar, but you didn't tell me what string and where. So that's the that's the killer of this. Uh, three fret slots basically didn't cut them deep enough, I guess. That wouldn't cause frets. Um, here, here's what I can tell you. Uh, this is where it's tough. I'm, I'm trying to like visualize what your problem is with this information, which is that we're missing a big, big piece of information, which is uh, what strings are actually buzzing. You're saying three slots, so I'm through, assuming it's three strings. Text fixed it, but there's some buzz on the low E. So we're going to go off. Okay, the buzz is on the low E. Any tips? Okay, so if you have buzz on your low E, this is what I'm going to tell you to do. First, I'll isolate where the buzz is coming from. So if the buzz is open string, that means one thing. So let's think about that. If the buzz is between the first fret and the fifth fret, that means another thing. And if it's basically past the fifth fret, then it means another thing. And, and without looking at the guitar, generically speaking, just to give you somewhere to start, so maybe you can adjust it this weekend without tech. And don't worry about making adjustments, man. Just take some measurements and take some pictures of where it is and where you adjust it. And uh, don't worry about that because, like I said, if, if it has to be put back, you know, you'll have the original measurements. So if you have an open string buzz, it could be the first fret. It's buzzing off the first fret. That means your slot is cut too deep or your neck is too darn straight. So you can fix that problem one of two ways. You can shove a piece of paper in that slot, just literally a piece of paper, cut a little teeny piece of paper, fold it up, just shove it in there and kind of just put the string on it, okay? doesn't have to look pretty. You're just trying to raise the nut slot. I have a video where it shows you how to use super glue and baking soda. You can rebuild the nut but you can just use a piece of paper. Like I said, you're just trying to solve a problem, which is the problem is the buzz. You're trying to get to stop hitting the first fret, raise the, raise the, uh, raise that channel in that low E, uh, low E string slot. Just shove something in there and see if that helps it. If that helps it, then you know, you solve the problem. Your nut needs to be redone, or you can do a buildup on it. If it's, uh, if it's bone, if it's graphite, you can do a buildup on it as well. This is basically, you're making plastic baking soda and super glue. You're just making some plastic. Okay. Uh, if, and also you can also relieve the neck a little bit and see if that solves that problem. And that brings me to the buzzing between the first and the fifth string, fifth string. If the low E is buzzing between the first and the fifth string, it could also just be, it needs a little relief in the neck. That's something you can test. I have a thousand videos and every video I do review, I'm showing you guys how to check the relief. Just check the relief and make sure it's fine. And if not, you don't even have to check it. Just go ahead and if you're getting buzz between the first and fifth fret, just go ahead and give the neck a little quarter turn of relief. Super easy on those guitars. They have a really, really easy adjustments. Now, if you're buzzing up on the higher part, then I would adjust it from your bridge. That's where I would make the adjustment. And again, this is just to get you started in what you should look at. Think about this way. That at least helps you. And don't worry if a tech already did something because just because a tech did something doesn't mean that something else doesn't move. There's a ton of, it doesn't even have to mean they're bad tech. It just means they did some adjustments and now some other things have happened. So you can take it back to that tech. Don't be, don't be afraid that if you take a guitar for adjustment and you're having a problem like this, uh, what I always tell you is, I tell people is read the tech. In other words, send the tech like, hey, this is what's happening now. And if then, if they're kind of like, that's your problem, well then screw that tech and get a new tech. But if it's kind of like, you know, if you're, your nervous is like, I don't know if I want to give this person another shot because they kind of botched it up the first time. Yeah, they kind of botched it up, but... I, I can tell you not everything is just an easy turn. Everything is adjustment. Sometimes things move and you know, there's just, there's stuff. Um, I, I had no problem. Uh, it, it happens. You make adjustments and a customer comes back a couple weeks later and they're like, Hey, look, there's some problems I'm having and you make some more adjustments. 
And if they're a good tech, they write all their stuff down and keep it. <laughs> That's what I do. I write all the measurements down. So when you come back, I can go, all right, let's see what I did and see how we're going to fix it. Um, Grumpy My Guitar said, uh, overall, I don't think the Strandberg is for me. Okay, but I am very intrigued by that neck. I do love to try try one. I think you should. That's what I basically wanted uh, everybody in the video to take away is try one. They're at Guitar Centers. They're places. I think it was, you know, kind of like a, it gets blended in with all the headless guitars. And let's, let's be honest. It definitely is responsible for bringing back the headless craze that we see currently now with headless guitars. There wasn't a whole lot of companies making headless guitars again when Strandberg came out. Obviously, Steinberger was, you know, those guys, and I think Kramer and a bunch of others did headless guitars, obviously, back in the day. But, but that's, but that's not, that's not what brought it back. What brought it back was the Strandbergs. And then I think that the thing that was missing was that he was doing all those other things to the guitar. Do I think everybody should switch to the Endura, Endura neck and the Strandberg? No, I think it's wrong for a lot of players. Like I said, there's some players that I think you pick it up and your first reaction is not good and it probably won't change. But as you saw, I wanted to show that it was different and maybe that's something you're looking for or more importantly, um, something you're not looking for. I can tell you a piece of information that I happen to know about those guitars, which is I've experienced this with not only my guitar teacher, but a couple other guitar players who habitually bought guitars like me, and then they got a Strandberg, and it was like they were done, and then just get bunches of Strandbergs. So there are players that just gravitate towards it. I can tell you without a doubt, um, when they reached out, uh, when Ola and them reached out, and I said, okay, send, let's send out a guitar, um, I... Everything in my gut said, get a seven, have them send a seven string. I had played a couple sevens. I had played some eights. I had played a six once. I was really more excited about the new revisions. There were some things I didn't like about the original ones. And obviously that's why I said I liked him being candid in the video because I brought those things up and he said, yeah, he fixed it. And I loved that. He said, I'm proud of those fixes, the modifications and improvements. So um, what I can tell you is, is that uh, the six string is good. But I really, really like the seven string and so much so so that I probably can see myself never playing another seven string besides that, which is really sad because I got that Petrucci that I really like. But I just really like this as a seven string format. I think it's the only only seven string that makes sense to me. Um, so. So that's what I'm gonna work on is getting a seven string. <laughs> so that's that's the that's the thing. Um uh, but like I said, I think everybody should try one. It's, uh, it's, it's not, it's not a gimmick. I think that's all I really wanted to convey in the, in the video. It's not the greatest guitar ever. It's not better than anything else. It's not, uh, you know, it's just not a gimmick. It's, you know, sometimes stuff's gimmicks. Let's be honest. Some of this stuff you're like, really, this is cheesy, but this like, you know, and if you want, that's why I wanted to do the interview. That's why I had to do the review and then do the interview. I'm like, these things need to come together because as I knew, no, we watch it. That's a very unique guitar. Like the, it's uh, the views are going to be, I think the interview will end up being one of the lowest viewed interviews. And I think the review will be one of my lowest re re uh, viewed reviews on average. But ultimately, I think people who are curious are going to find out more about it than ever before. And that's all I was looking to do, because I think he has a real a real mission in life, not just like a, hey, I'm going to do this because <laughs> no one made a squared neck before. I'll do it. I think he had a lot, a lot of things. And I think he had I think he had the guts to say it. If you watch the interview, when I asked him about, hey, I heard you, you know, you kind of got the idea from this other neck from Lace 
flat out said, yeah. And actually another company. <laughs> it's like, wow. Right. Talk about that in this industry. Most of the time. So you guys know, uh, just to give you how, how much it matters to me that he gets credit. Since I've been doing these YouTube interviews, since I've been doing this five things video, since I've been doing informational type videos on YouTube, I've been contacted by companies in, in the past who love to tell me how the person I interviewed didn't do the thing that they did. They did the thing they did, or they did, you know, I, you know, they, they did it. It's always about some kind of credit. And, and everybody in this industry always seems like they're trying to grab the credit for something like, Oh, actually I was doing that way before everybody else was doing it. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, where I loved what he said in the, in the interview was just like, yeah, I looked at what people did and, you know, I uh, just said, okay, I'll apply that. This seems to work. I'll do that. And, you know, it was, it was very upfront about it. Um, very cool. It was very cool. So, um, and then since I kind of have leaned into it and then the other thing that happens a lot of times I get companies telling me, uh, I don't know why companies think they have the right to call me or email me and tell me that they don't like interviews I do with other companies, but I get that too, which is a very strange thing to experience. If you can imagine I still to this day can understand how a company could email me or call me and say, hey, we didn't like this interview you did with some this our competitor. Like, great. <laughs> yeah, see? This is how awkward that is. I don't even know what to say next because, trust me, there's usually this when I start cursing. You guys don't see me curse a lot, but that's usually when the cursing comes out. I don't have a whole lot of, a lot of tolerance for that, and I still don't understand it. Uh, okay. On Dahmer. <laughs> on Dahmer says thoughts on tone rider pickups. Just got the Alnico twos humbuckers. Seymour Duncan makes great pickups, but they aren't worth $150 more a set. In my opinion, uh, I have not tried tone rider pickups. Value of pickups is of course is, in, is impossible. Uh, Trev Wilkinson, you guys know from Wilkinson is a, is a, a person that I would love. I actually interviewed him and I didn't film it. I don't know why that didn't even make any sense. Right. I, I you gotta understand for a long time. I just was asking people like I interviewed, um, uh, Jim Marshall, but I, but I didn't have a YouTube channel. I just, <laughs> just sat with him and asked him a bunch of questions. Cause that's just what I would do. I would, before I even knew, I guess maybe I should film this and stick it on the internet. I would just meet somebody and start questions. Trev Wilkinson said, what did he say to me? He said a famous quote that I'll never forget. And this is uh, somebody who's actually, I make pickups too. So this is why I love the quote. He says, a single coil pickup costs six bucks to make, a humbucker costs 12 bucks to make, and this industry will kill you for telling that secret. <laughs> See, don't you love it when the guy, I love him. Trev is amazing. It's, yeah, that's what he said to me. So to answer your question, uh, that's what I always thought. You know, um, uh, when I, I, I uh, told you guys my my goal is to eventually OEM my uh, personal pickups so I don't have to wind them. You know, maybe, uh, you know, I right? spec out my pickups, bring down the price. And um, I want to do what I, I, it's called domestic outsourcing. In other words, I'm not going to take it overseas. I'm going to do it inside the United States. There's a ton of great winders in the U.S. that would maybe like the opportunity to do limited runs of of my pickup designs. And, uh, and then that would be great for me because then I can not actually have to calculate my personal time into the equation and just say, okay, this is what the components cost and, and bring the price down. I'd like the pickups to be, uh, I'd like them to, a set of humbuckers to be $199 or less instead of $300. That's what I'd like to be. I've, I've said this many times and I'm not going to shy away from it. My pickups are $300 because 
the time I sit on the winder is compromised by the time I can be doing other things. And that's what those other things that pays me is about that ratio. So I have to charge to make sense as a business. And uh, I had no in, I had no intention of me becoming a pickup maker. I was just making some of the pickups that I liked and you guys were buying them. So, uh, uh, but, but, uh, um, what is going to say? Oh, but uh, like I said, I want to I want to have them done, uh, in, you know, in, in in the United States. And uh, I, of course, I did because I have connections overseas. I did contact somebody overseas, and the prices I got were insanely low. <laughs> I was like, wow, I can. I mean, I can honestly probably bring to market a set of Northern Lights humbuckers and make profit. And in made in Korea, not even like made in China or anything like that. Made in Korea, I can probably sell a set of pickups for a hundred dollars. Uh, so 99 bucks for a set of humbuckers and I'm charging $300 currently and what I'd like to make them in the U S for $200. So, um, so to answer your question, I'm not, uh, not shocked at all that here to hear that, that, uh, the tone rider pickups are good. I think a lot of pickups are good. It's really, it's really just a, com- a combination of a couple things. Obviously using good, co- good magnets is very important using good materials, using good wire, which isn't super hard to do because wire is not very expensive, but you'd be surprised how cheap people will you get with their wire. And then, um, I can tell you the big problem with pickups the secret, the secret sauce of pickups is that you do not want to ship them all out. So there's a lot of turds in the pickups. Sometimes, look, there's just things that happen, right? It's a basically winding a wire around a, a, a bobbin. Um, you know, if you have so inclined the right machines that are doing it, you know, as you do in the high-end manufacturers have these machines, uh, you you lose a little bit of the magic of the hand scatter wound thing. There is a little bit of that through the machines don't duplicate, I think, as well. Um, I'm not trying to sell mystical unicorn stuff to you. I'm just trying to say, like, you can just kind of hear it. You know, there's a difference to the breath. I want to, I want to say the breath of the pickup, if that makes any sense. But But there's also that also makes more crappy pickups, <laughs> right? It's kind of like, it's like somebody talking, arguing the pin router are, are doing by hand versus CNC. I think there's a lot of things that are cool about that way, but also, you know, the CNC guarantees more consistent quality, even if that quality sometimes feels a little generic because sometimes something made really well feels synthetic or fake, Um in my experience, I think that's the thing about anything that's artistic. Because remember, this isn't just tools. They are tools, but they are art. As we hang them on our walls, they are art. So it's art when you're on stage with a piece of equipment. So sometimes the thing is a beautiful tool and a beautiful piece of art. And there's things that you like about both. Um, yeah, there you go. A good example of that, and I think a perfect example, you'll see on my review of my nags coming soon. My nags has a, I'll say, dare say blemish, but it's not a blemish. It's a mess up. They messed up taping off the, the, the line on the neck. And a lot of people ask me how I feel about that considering the guitar is very expensive. And to be honest with you, if the guitar, it's not, if the guitar wasn't made where it's made and by a shop the size it's made, if it was a mass produced guitar, if it was a mass produced guitar, I would have sent it back. But because it is kind of a piece of art, like I'm afraid I would rather have this guitar right now with a mistake in the paint line than send it back and get another one and have it be different. I really love the way this sounds and feels. And that's the thing about a guitar is sometimes, you know, you, you, you know, you have to decide. So there you go. That's my, that's my two cents on that. I don't even know. Where do we end up with that? <laughs> Where, um, Oh, so that what I was basically saying when he says uh, pickups aren't uh, Seymour Duncan's are not worth one hundred and fifty dollars. 
you know, worth is exactly that. What's it worth to you? So there you go. Uh, Smoky Sound Studio says, just pulled an old Yamaha G103 amp out of storage. Have you ever used one? I don't think I have. Thoughts? Uh, thanks for the videos. Keep up rocking. I don't think I've actually played that amp. I've seen a couple here and there. Um, I'm not a big fan of old solid state type amps and old type of amps. Um, um, but let me double check because this is one of those things like later I'm afraid someone's going to go, no, Phil, that amp is this. And companies like Yamaha and Seymour Duncan, believe it or not, Seymour Duncan had amps too. You got to get, you get a little, I get a little nervous because there's certain, there's cherries throughout the years where those companies had like Max Saldano design an amp for them and all kinds of builders. Uh, so this amp looks like exactly what I thought it was going to be. It's a 100 watt. I'll share with you guys in a second once I confirm what it is. He said the three. This is the two. Uh, two, two. I don't see a three. I see the twos. Here's the three. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, let me share what I think it is with you guys. Here's a website. Um, this is it. Yep. G103. Um, I, not seen one before. Looks like, I don't know. Looks like an amp. <laughs> so to answer your question, I haven't, I have no experience with it. So, uh, I, if I was going to guess, I'm going to guess it has a good clean channel and the distortion channel is probably not that great. That's using my experience, but I could be totally wrong. I'm just throwing a guess. That's my guess. But either way, enjoy the amp. Looks cool. Looks like a piece of history. Mike says, Hey Phil, have you ever have, wait, no, he, he doesn't want to know what I do. He's like me. He knows. He has. Hey, Phil, I have an Esquire type telly that has a single pickup in the bridge, and I'm thinking about adding a humbucker in the neck position. What pickup would you recommend? I almost say don't do it. There's something magical about one pickup tellies in the bridge. Uh, every time I play one, I love one, and yet I don't seem to own one. I don't know what it is. So I almost like want to tell you not to do that, um, especially if it's not routed for anything. Don't route it. Um, Leave it alone. It's a magical thing, that one pickup guitar. But if you aren't so inclined, I don't know what pickup is in the bridge. Um, me, I'm a broken record when it comes to pickups. I like PAFs. So you can go uh, uh, PFs. You can understand, like, PF for me, in in the pickup world, the PAF for me is like saying Tube Screamer. Um, everybody's like, you know, everybody's, some people hate the Tube Screamer. Some people like it. Obviously, it sells a lot. It's one of the best-selling pedals of all time. So... Not everybody hates it, but so many pedals are cloned off of it and so many variations where it's just a little bit more mids or a little bit more highs or a little bit more gain or a little less gain or a little bit of this, but it's essentially that. The PAF is the same thing. So many pickups are just cloned off that pickup that it's just that pickup or a dozen other iterations that pickup are going to be fine. I tend to, my ear tends to like PAFs that are just wound just slightly hotter, just a little bit. I mean, not so much that you even notice, just a little bit. Because sometimes uh, I, I feel like it's a little... On the neck, there's a thing a PAF does that I don't sometimes love where the amp cleans up too much. So that's what I that's what I uh, pay attention to. Like, uh, for instance, uh, uh, Bare Knuckles has a pickup called the Riff Raff, which is like a PAF, but just a little bit more... Oh, a little bit of that, right? And I love that. Yeah, like I said, there's tons of that stuff. Um, I don't need something like a JB 
where it's like 17k and it's just killing and it's a little throttled out it's not a high gain pickup by any means but it's definitely killing i like that pickup but it's not what i'm always looking for i'm just looking for a little bit more and on a telly i think the same thing just because i think a telly will with a humbucker will sound very less polished more so than most other guitars I don't know why that is. Probably because so many great guitar players played tellies on albums that we thought were Les Pauls. <laughs> right? I think the telly kind of, it kind of has a big, it has a bigger sound. Um, I, I, I think I saw somebody do a video once, like, you know, we, you know, buying a telly or looking at tellies with your eyes and not your ears. Or maybe I said that. I don't even remember. Um, but uh, that's what I feel about tellies. I feel like a lot of people see country music and they see twang and they see stuff like that and they go, that's what a telly sounds like. But that to me, tellies are, are huge sounding. Um, Keith says, Hey Phil tips for picking a humbucker that works with my strat single coils. Okay. Try single coil size. Can't find a good balance. Yeah. Back to single, single, but I missed the HP. Yeah, I'm not a big, huge fan of single coil size humbuckers. I always say this. If I use one, it's usually the Chopper by DiMarzio because I don't think it sounds like a hum, humbucker. I think it sounds like a P90. And I think it nails that big, throaty P90. Look, P90s are are killer pickups because the fact that they're 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 wound really hot. They 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 just sound huge. They're everything we love about a single coil, but then but better, better and bigger, uh, in, in my opinion. And, uh, of course a little stacked mini humbucker, or sorry, stacked little mini humbucker that sounds like a P90 without noise sounds really good. So I think that's why I lean towards that pickup. But other than that, I don't have a whole lot of faith that the mini pickups sound, the mini single coil style style pickups sound very humbuckerish to me. Um, even when people go, Oh, it does. And I think, no, my ear doesn't detect that. I hear, P90s mostly. Um, so, uh, hum, humbucker, same thing. I know broken record. Uh, if you're going to put it in the bridge, especially in the bridge uh, with single coils, I can tell you exactly what I just said is the opposite of what I just said. I will use a PAF, which is what I said, but I would say a, a little hotter. Nope. Then I go straight PAF. In fact, I want to get that bridge pickup to be as low on uh, basically find something that's like 7K. Okay, it's not the only way you want to rate a pickup, but that's at least to get you in the vein of most manufacturers where they're going to be. So you try to find a PF style pickup that's like 7K and uh, and it blends really well with the single coils. Uh, it sounds really good. That's what I would recommend. There's tons of those out there. And what's great about that is, is um, and and then your uh, magnet stuff, the magnet and stuff, that's pre- preference. I like Elnico 5s for almost everything. I spent years and years, years playing Alnico 2s on almost every one of my pickups were Alnico 2s. Um, I like Alnico 4s. There's certain things, the subtle things that Magnus do. And then one day, for some reason, I decided to do a shootout with all the pickups and uh, humbuckers. And every time I, when I picked the pickup, I was like slotting on it. It was always the Alnico 5 every time that I liked it. So I was like, all right. So I don't know if that means I, anything other than, for some reason, I, my ear leaned towards that. So... Um, uh, Dustin says, Hey Phil, do you think it's possible in this day and age to make a living flipping gear? Uh, if so, how would you start? I have a dozen friends I can think of right now that make a living flipping gear. A lot of people do it. Um, essentially think about this, uh, the way I would explain it to you is imagine all the things that a music store does and has. And then now imagine all those things are now, it's like, it's like, but it's like, making money as an Uber driver versus a cab driver. 
the concept is the same in the idea that you can use Reverb and eBay and Sweetwater and I don't know where all, Craigslist and OfferUp. I mean, there's so many places that you can put that on there. See, before it was like, okay, get a place, a location, pay rent, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Now you can do it all from your house. Um, ship out there. You don't have to interact with customers. You can do shipping. So it's absolutely, uh, absolutely easy to do that. Uh, so to go back to the, I know, I think there was a second part to this question, which I can't remember now. Um, but yes, can you, can you make a living flipping gear? Uh, absolutely. It's not my thing. Like I said, I had a store, so that kind of puts me in that vein, obviously at one time, but I really didn't, I didn't, that's not the part, that's not the reason why I opened the store. So it wasn't like the thing I was after. Um, even so, I don't know if I mentioned this, but it's probably important to mention this. So in the 13 years the store was open, we bought almost no gear, um, from like used, we would only do trades. So very unique business model for us. So we would sell new gear and use gear, but use gear only by trade. Um, so, and, uh, because of the fact that I had no interest in people coming in and telling me how they needed rent and they were just going to sell me gear to cheap. It's a great margin. It's a great way to do it. It wasn't what I was interested in. And kind of like on my YouTube channel now, how I do it, where I lean into the patrons and other services to make income so that when I talk to a company and they tell me something I don't like, or if I go, okay, I don't like the way this video seems to feel. I don't like the situation. And now I got to say no to this agreement, which is lucrative. I, I can go, okay, you know what? That's why I have these other revenues that are happening this way. It's kind of like the same with the store. The store was set up to where it's like, okay, we have lessons and there's revenues coming in lessons. We have repairs. I have money coming from repairs. We're selling new gear. We have money from new gear. We're doing used gear, but through trade uh, and trade up kind of logic. And the reason I like trade was like, I feel like I give somebody fair value for something because uh, obviously I'm, I'm moving a piece of gear, right? So that was easy. It's like, okay, you're going to take this brand new American Strat out of my store. I'm going to get your Mexican made Strat. You as your upgrade. And I could, I could, I could blend the, the deal. In other words, I could say, okay, maybe his Strat used is worth at the time $400. Normally your logic as a dealer is like, I want to buy it for two, but I could say, okay, well, I'll give you three for it because in my head I'm thinking, well, I would probably give him 10% off if he bought that American Strat off. So, so let's do That's a hundred dollars off a thousand dollar sticker. There's a discount for him. So now I'm giving him better value that way. And more importantly, I didn't have to deal with, like I said, people in desperate positions. Now, as I said, I have a dozen friends who make a living doing exactly that. I don't, uh, I'm not judging anyone. Hey, there's a reason why, uh, you know, people are in a bad, I've been in a bad way. Everybody's been in a bad way. I don't, reg- I don't, I don't curse the people that, you know, profiteered from my bad situations in my life, um, as long as it was done ethically. And it, so it's good. That being said, uh, you can do that, but you have to, uh, the question is, where would you start? Will you start with educating yourself? Because what I can tell you is, what will kill you is, <laughs> yes, you won't have a store. You won't have the overhead of rent. You won't have the overhead of a lot of things going on, but you will have the overhead of, of is mistakes. Mistakes will kill you. And you got to understand when you decide to get into the flipping game, um, there's a lot of people who are playing the game against you that you may not realize at first, uh, you know, over the years you figure it out, but at first you don't know, which means everybody's going to come at you with like a story like, Oh, I got to get divorced. And here's this guitar dirt cheap. And then you get it and you find out the neck is twisted because you didn't look at it or there was, uh, the wrong pickups that were stuck in it, or there's some other situation going on, right? Cause they're going to justify where they're going to give it to you for a good deal. A lot of people have a story of why something is dirt cheap. Uh, and it's sometimes it's a con it's real, it's real, 
and and that's why, like I said, I like doing the trade environment because I feel like these people became more than just the person of an opportunity trade. Like I, if you sell something to someone, like someone comes to your store and sells you a piece of gear, used, leaves, you probably not see them again, right? But a trade, you, I sell those people all the time. There was always a trade. And so um, that's why I like that way. But back to the flipping thing, you have to be educated on it. You have to know it. You have to wake up every day. Uh, and uh, I'll just use a couple of my buddies that I know do really well with it. Six-figure income well with it, with no store, just off eBay or Reverb, Okay. Uh, that they're literally nosing in, in, in it every day. Every morning, they have a ritual. They get up. First thing they do on the toilet, they look at Craigslist. They're looking for deals because they got to get the first, they got to be the first call on Craigslist every day. You can be the first call. First call, right? They, uh, and uh, they're relentless. That's the technique. How you get gear at good prices, they're relentless. It's not about, it's about being the first, hammering on that person, following up. Hey, you still haven't considered my offer. You know, go, come back to it. They're always looking for that stuff they know has margin. Um, they are on offer up first thing in the morning. Then they're perusing the other things. Then they have to go. You get in your car and they go in their cars and they have to go to pawn shops and they have to go to stores. And that's how you flip gear. These guys make, like I said, six figures. But it's a, it's a, it's a grind. And I think a lot of them, as they uh, age, they become, you know, and become tenured in it. They can figure out ways to not kind of put in the hours. And they just find the better, better opportunities, but they don't make money. Um, and today's day and age, I always hear like, well, how could they make money? Because everybody can buy you know, figure out what stuff is. They're going to sell dirt cheap. No, they're just smarter than you. That's what it is. So for every, some person's like, I know what I have. I'm not selling it too cheap. Uh, there's a ton of people that don't know what they have and there's businesses. Uh, they, they go to guitar centers all the time all the time. A lot of them live on guitar centers and pawn shops, not so much anymore, but pawn shops, music stores. Uh, they actually live on the, the retailers being misinformed because they know that maybe the person in processing a guitar center, uh, didn't look at the right thing. They were a kid. They didn't have the experience. And now they have the guitar marked for $7.99 when it really should sell for $1,800 cause it's the wrong color, right? Cause that's the thing, uh, the wrong model. So, to answer your question, yeah, you can make money, uh, but, and where do you start? Education. It's no substitute for that because if you're looking up stuff, you're not very good at this. <laughs> you have to be on it. Uh, notice sometimes I have to look up an amp when somebody talks to me and stuff. It's cause I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, versed in it daily. Like I, I used to be when I was always selling gear, you have to be more versed in it because somebody's always going to have, having you something and you have to know exactly what it is they're trying to sell you or trade to you or buy from you. Cause you never know. You don't want to be the person who sells it for the wrong price or buys it for the wrong price. So there you go. Um, hold on. Just checking somebody's Um, a lot of people, okay. So comments right now, I'm seeing some comments about talking about fees, selling online. That stuff doesn't matter to these guys. And uh, I, like I said, uh, they don't care about that. That's the last thing they complain about. I find if you, if you're out there again, no, no disrespect to anyone, but if you're out there complaining about three to five or 6%, 7% transaction fees, 
uh, selling used gear, you're doing it wrong. You're doing the, you're buying the gear wrong. Uh, you shouldn't have tight margins. Everything should be, a, a, like I said, you're looking for nothing but windfalls. You're looking for, they didn't know they had a Japanese Jackson. They thought they had a Korean Jackson or an Indonesian one. They didn't know that they had a, a, a you know, a 73 real Strat. They thought they had a 73 reissue Strat. There's a lot of that stuff. So like I said, that's where the education comes in. You walk in a store and I've done it. I told you, I call it rescuing. I've rescued guitars. Uh, Ralph owns three current guitars that I rescued. These are guitars, including my, one of my Les Pauls. Um, they were guitars that I, in that particular case, I'd walked into Guitar Center. They had it priced way too cheap. I looked at it. I knew exactly what it was, and it was not what they basically thought it was. So I walked up the counter, and I bought it. And in that case, my intent was to wait a year and then, and then sell it and because it was just an opportunistic buy, and why not? And... Uh, you know, take $1,200 and turn it into $2,000 and make 800 bucks and play a guitar for a year. It sounds like a good idea. And in Ralph's case, it was like, uh, he's looking for one. I go, I have one in my closet in a case and I bought it super cheap and you can just buy it for what I paid for it. And so, um, sometimes there's situations like that. Uh, but your, your margins are high and keep in mind, those fees sound horrible when you have a business, Right. When you have a business, or when it's your personal thing, and you're you're trying to you're trying to mitigate the the, the hemorrhage of loss. In other words, you paid a thousand for it new. Now it's worth seven. You're losing three hundred bucks. Now you're really focused on oh man, and an additional hundred dollars in costs. Now I've lost four hundred dollars. But that's a different game when you're selling off your used gear. You're not a flipper. You're not doing that. And also. If you're a store or a business, then obviously it works on the fees because your margins are usually uh, much smaller because even if you get those big payouts or those deeper margins, uh, you have a lot of overhead and that comes off the top. So, But he was specifically saying, how does he get into the flipping business? And the flippers I know uh, usually work from their house and this is what they do. It's a, that's what appeals to you. Do it, I guess, right? It's, um, Stan says, Phil, in the early days, did you ever buy a fake? I have. Um I've never bought a fake and didn't know it was fake. I bought one fake. I told the story before, so yeah, I don't know what podcast it is, but I, I bought a fake Les Paul that somebody told me was fake. It was fake. It was obvious to me that it was fake. And uh, that's why I learned the lesson, the hard lesson I learned, which is I marked it as fake. This is why I brand guitars fake, which upsets some people that I do that. They're like, why do you do that extreme thing? And this is why I did it. I'm scorned from it. Um, I bought a guitar, a Gibson Les Paul fake for $200. My brain said at the time, right, he wanted to trade it, as you know. Um, actually, so, you know, he brought it in for repair. I think that's how it started. I started in for repair. I did the repair. And then he wanted to trade it traded it. And I think I was into it for a couple hundred bucks. It was nothing like 150, 200 bucks. And uh, I was like, all right, you know, right. We'll, we'll mark it for 300 bucks and call it a day. We marked it, we put a big sign on it, it's fake. Uh, and somebody bought it. And then later I found out they sold it. And then of course conned somebody with it and I felt horrible. Um, so from now on, I, br- I brand guitars fake when I see them. It's just how it works. Anybody who knows me knows that I do that. Um, I can tell you right now, when I did the video, when I branded the fake guitar, um, the, uh, the customer who brought that guitar to me was a, was my very first customer ever in my store. Like my, seriously, my very first like dollars, uh, customer. And he'd been with me for many, many years and he got hosed on that deal. He, he thought it was real or he thought maybe it was real and it was fake. And he told me to toss it. And I said, oh, I'll brand it fake and we'll give it away. So I branded it that way because we didn't sell it. Somebody's like, oh, you just ruined the value of it. Well, we weren't going to sell it. We gave it away to a kid. So, and I just want to make sure, again, no one was ever going to try to put that back and sell it as a, a fake again. I really have a, I have a really big pet peeve with fraud and fake and, 
and taking advantage of people. It's uh, it's a disgusting thing to do. There's so many ways, and and I guess this is again. I don't you know everybody's gonna have a high horse and a and a pedestal to stand on. Here's my pedestal. I've made a living for so long, untraditionally. Like I said, I don't I don't go to a nine to five job. I've had those. It's great. I love 401ks. I love I love medical dental that I don't have to pay out of pocket for. Um, but that being said, I've made a living. I know you can make a living without having to be a, a piece of crap, you know, taking advantage of people. You don't have to do that. So um, if, you know, if I can find a way, if people can find a way of doing that, you don't have to do it. So I do have a pet peeve for that stuff. So that's why I did that. Um, so, uh, so what? Uh, yeah, that's the time I bought a fake. <laughs> We're almost done. Almost to the end. Okay. And then we'll have Halloween weekend of guitar playing. I have to play spooky songs. Okay, let's uh let's get these uh come these questions out. Um uh, Firmware wants us to know that he put a 5310, 5311, and a 10-year-old Santana SE double cut, and it was amazing upgrade. Thank you. It's good to know that. It's good. It's a, uh, Damon says, hey, Phil, thoughts on playability versus tone? Uh, I'm best on a Jag in every way. So he plays a Jaguar. Okay. Love a Tele sound the most, but I'm not as good as it. How about you? Does this change your choice to stay together? Absolutely. Uh, so me, playability, uh, everybody's going to have different opinions, of course. Mine's playability is over tone. So, for instance, I love, love, love the way my SG feels. I'm not a big fan of the way they look, and I'm definitely not a huge fan of the tone. I mean, it's a good tone. I love it, but it's not my favorite. Like you, I kind of like picture the telly or the strat. I like the strats a lot. As you guys know, I play strat a whole lot, but sometimes I feel like I'm fighting the strat. Sometimes in the mood for a strat sound, but sometimes when I want something else, it's just not there. So yeah, sometimes uh, it's for me, it's all about the comfort of the neck, the comfort of the way the guitar plays. I find I play a lot longer and then, you know, and then tone's important, but it's secondary to me. But uh, I've said this uh, many times when it comes to guitars. To me, it's all about the neck. If I don't love the neck, then the guitar. In fact, so you know, sometimes like a uh, guitar is here and then it goes and you guys, oh, I can't believe you got rid of that. And everything about it was great. It looked great. It sounded great. It was perfect, and, you know, quality guitar, but I just didn't love the neck. Um, and that's what it is. If I don't love the neck, it's hard. Um, that's the problem I'm having with a certain guitar I have right now. I'm just not loving the neck. Not, not really. Okay. Volk Hammer says, Hey, Phil, I'm contemplating buying an EVH Frankie, $1,909, but can't shake the feeling it's a mediocre guitar. Okay. With a nostalgic paint job. Okay. Am I wrong? Anything about it, uh, the guitar besides the paint and relic job? Look, the guitar. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I get it. Uh, it's not a mediocre guitar. Uh, it's a quality instrument. Um, I've seen some with some issues, uh, a la, you know, you see everything with issues. I've seen some that play great. Overall, I think it plays and sounds great. The ones I've seen played and sound great. A lot of players here have them play and sound great. Uh, look, is it worth two grand? That's the whole, is it worth thing? Um, look, it's painted. You know, it's tough. This is where it gets tough because there's a lot of people here watching that replicate those guitars and have done for many years because they're already dead. And Fender finally got smart and said, why don't we just do that? Uh, here's the good news. It will hold value. 
it's not a huge investment of of loss. Okay, what I mean by that is I don't see a world where you pay two grand for that guitar and it's worth a thousand dollars one day. I think it will slowly hold value. I think. I think because of Eddie's, pa- Eddie's passing and the guitar boom, I think Fender probably made a lot. Because I feel like you couldn't get them and the price went up, and then now you feel like they got soft in the market. I think it's because they made a whole lot. Uh, but I think at the core, your question is, and I think you're worried that you are paying a lot of money for the paint job. You are. There's a nostalgia to that, of course. I have one. I don't have that one. I have the uh, Stripe series that's shiny. I, I don't know what it is. It's an age thing. Uh, for me is what I've noticed with Eddie. Like Eddie is kind of a funny thing uh, when it comes to people's age. It's like it's like your age dictates what what Eddie you are. So like, <laughs> you ever heard this? I heard this analogy once, like uh, about women that basically if they like Ewoks, uh, that means they were young when Star Wars came out, and if they don't, I guess they were older when Star Wars came out or Return of the Jedi, some story like that. I'm just giving you the connection. I feel like I can know a, a person's age by what Eddie guitar they like. So when they go, I like the white and black guitar, I go, oh, <laughs> you know, kind of like graduating class 84, <laughs> right? And so, uh, and then it's like, uh, if they go, oh, I like the stripe guitar, the, the red stripes, like, oh, graduating class 86 or whatever, I mean, right? You know, kind of thing. And it's like, oh, I like the Wolfgang guitars. Oh, graduating class 90, <laughs> right? It's kind of like, it's kind of, those years aren't exact. You get the idea. You just get the idea. You kind of get somebody's age from that. Um, and uh, and for the striped guitar, for some reason, for me, I like it shiny. I don't like it all faded. So I have the striped one made in Mexico. It's shiny. It's a great guitar. It's one of my best playing guitars. Yeah, it's all about just having a piece of that Eddie history. Um, and I, I have no regrets in that. That one was, it's $1,000, not $2,000. But I get it. A lot of people like the more relic version one. And, uh, you know, do it. <laughs> It's, you know, the rule is like, if you say, if you should get a guitar, we say you should get it. But also, uh, you know, I just don't think you'll regret it. Here's what I will tell you you'll regret. You selling it. That's the thing you'll regret. If you don't have two grand, if you're pushing your budget, if that's whatever the problem, if you think it's going to ache on you that you got this money and then you're going to want to sell it because it's a lot of money invested, then don't do it. But if you have the money, if you've got the ducats to buy that guitar, I think in the long term, it's not a great investment. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying you'll you'll get many years of enjoyment out of it. It's fun to play. It's cool. It's definitely a cool conversation, man. Nobody looks at an Eddie Van Halen stripe guitar. I mean, nobody. Uh, it's the only guitar that everyone knows. Like everyone knows that guitar. I, you know, it doesn't even matter if they don't like don't even know what Van Halen is. They know that, that, that what that guitar means. Uh, I, I have this uh, a funny thing uh, that happened with the Stripes guitars. I had a kid that came to the store, and he had Eddie Van Halen Stripes stuff, and I just always assumed that it was Eddie Van Halen, he was an Eddie Van Halen fan. And then one day I said something. I don't know what I said, but something to the effect of Eddie Van Halen, something Eddie Van Halen fan would know, and he was like, oh, I don't know what that is. And I go, aren't you an Eddie Van Halen fan? And they're like, no, never heard of him. I'm like, you never heard of Eddie Van Halen? And they're like, no. And I go, but you have all this striped, like, striped stuff, red and black. He goes, yeah. He goes, I just saw it. And I goes, I saw it on a guitar once. And I go, yeah, that's Eddie Van Halen. He's like, oh. He goes, I just thought it meant rock and roll. <laughs> and I'm like, and I laugh because I thought, oh, I could get that connection, right? What, right? It connects. It just connects. That it would come to, that, come to, that, you know, I could see why he could come to that decision. Uh, Swizz871 says, hey, Phil, I'm about to start playing in a band with another guitarist for the first time. Any tips for how to use my GE7 the most effectively? 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got a, I got a couple. Uh, I usually used it for an effect or as a solo player. Sure, you can use it as a boost. I did a video with Tim Pierce uh, talking about all the ways we like it. Use it as a boost. Use it at, when you're with an, another guitar player, another band. Yeah, use that thing to pull your push your mids up. It depends on what your goal is, okay? So if your goal is to have the band sound good and you guys want to mix together, you can use it to kind of find the sweet spot for you where you and that guitar player kind of live together in a in sonic space that sounds great. If it's about you just want to make sure everybody hears you a little bit more, instead of turning your amp up, you just push those mids. <laughs> you get in those frequencies. Get away from those cymbals. Get away from that bass guitar. Make sure you, <laughs> your signal's just a little bit more mid-driven than his, and you'll kind of pop a little bit more to the audience. But ultimately, I can tell you, I, I um, if I could only have one pedal uh, for the rest of my life, it would be a GE7 because I can make it do so many things. and uh, Or an EQ pedal, but that's the one I use, the GE7. And it's because, again, it's a boost. It's a, uh, you can use it to fix an amp that sounds horrible, put it in the effects loop and fix that amp. You can use it for all kinds of things. Uh, you can use it to clean up an amp. You can use it uh, as, to plug your acoustic in. So, yeah, that's a great pedal. And if you're going to use it for solos, not only is it boosted, it can actually be like a thickening agent. And and the only reason I don't use it is because there's other pedals that do what that does. So you don't need it. But like I said, if there was only one pedal, it would be that pedal. Uh, Steven says, uh, Phil, which Telecaster would you get for under $600? Um, under $600, I'm not... I don't think the Made in Mexico's are under $600. I, I can tell you this. First, let's start with the easy thing. If I had $600 and I was looking for a Telecaster, the first thing I'd be hunting for is a used Made in Mexico Telecaster. That's what I would want if I only had one Telecaster. I have one Telecaster now. I've whittled them down over the years. You know, I got a couple. It's the one I probably had once my channel started. It's a Made in Mexico. Or sorry, it's a Made in America Standard, right? I bought it because it is surf green or seafoam green. It's actually seafoam. It looks surf, but it's seafoam green with matching headstock. And it's just an American standard. There's nothing special about it. I have, uh, I changed the bridge to the basic six saddles, which is something the American ones don't do, but uh, I liked it that time. And then I have um, some some Telecaster pickups in there. But uh, I was trying to think, Lindy Fralin. Lindy Fralin pickups in there. But the stock ones were actually pretty good. I just... I don't know, changed because I had some Lindy Freelands and I like them. But my point is, if this was made, if this, if they had it made in Mexico and with the surf green or seafoam green with a matching headstock, I would have bought that. There was no decision to buy this other than this, the color lineup, the way it looked. So that's what I would look for. If that's impossible and you can't do it, and then I would look for maybe, you don't think you can get American GNL for that. Um, then I would probably look at, Maybe some of the import GNLs, maybe some of the Squires, because Squires are really good. But I, you have to be familiar with the, what model Squires, uh, you know, for the price point. But that's what I would look for. I think I'm gonna stick with that answer because that's what I would do. I like to give you the answer that I would do. I would, uh, yeah, I would definitely look for a Made in Mexico used for six hundred bucks, and uh, you can find it. So uh, it's remember you can find. You can find anything you want if you wait long enough. Uh, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a video soon uh, that I'm gonna do because I mean soon because it just happened. I have a new Les Paul right there. I'm pointing at a gold top. That's a gold top Les Paul that I've been looking for for uh, I can't even think ten years at least ten years. I've been looking for that Les Paul, and I bought a couple. And that was my mistake. So I bought a couple others and stuff. This is the one I was, I don't want to tell you guys why and uh, how I found it, but I've been looking and I've been looking every day for 10 years for that Les Paul, that exact one. Um, and uh, I finally found it and it's 
literally like a Holy Grail Les Paul for me in every way. And, um, and, um, it was worth it. It was worth waiting to find it. I almost gave up recently too. It's funny. It's kind of how the irony of the world works. I almost recently uh, said, screw it. I'm just going to buy like a custom shop or something and pay all this crazy money. And I kept fighting and fighting and then it popped. I found one. Okay. So Meester says, Hey, uh, studying voice and my gas has eased a little. Okay. Uh, let's see. Frontman guys. Whoa. Personalities of instrumentalists are much easier. Okay, gonna sing with a small classic chorus and sit with a rock bass player. Okay, that's cool. It's good to know. He says, uh, he also wanted to know any news on the fired US employees. Well, first of all, you know, Fender did last weekend, they did a hiring thing. They're hiring again. Um, there was posters put out, a lot of you guys talked about it. Um, I talked to some friends at work at Fender and they basically said, Yeah, they're hiring. <laughs> They're hiring again. Uh, and, you know, I stick with all the all the critiques I gave about Fender when they did the layoffs. I still stick with as um, is it was I think it was just poor management style to do that the way they handled it. I understand. No, I don't understand. I don't. I understand everything that they did. I don't agree with it. That's what I'm going to say. I don't agree with any decision they did. I think there's always a different way to do stuff. I think it was all just just because that's you know, a option doesn't mean it should have been the option. So to answer your question, some of the employees found other jobs at other places and some of the employees might end up back there because they are now hiring again. They're hiring for both first and second shift. Uh, as I said, um, I, I think one of the things I didn't like, uh, about it, the way it vibed to me is what I kind of said on that podcast was, you know, yeah, there was some grumblings about a recession and a slowdown in the economy, and then, of course, Fender's doing layoff. And a lot of people defended Fender as, you know, they have the right to and saying, well, if, you know, Phil, you don't understand. The economy is going crappy and we've got to lay people off. And I'm like, yeah, but we're still selling lots of guitars as an industry. I mean, I can see it every day. They're selling lots of stuff. And there's uh, so it's to me, it wasn't that it's the slowdown was the problem. To me, it was Fender had a lot of inventory. They should have slowed down a little bit before. They didn't. And I think they calculated some dealers and some things that were going to stay in place that didn't. And, uh, and of course the, the employees paid the price for that as a lot of times they do. And that's my whole problem with that. And, um, and I also, uh, cause I like to be very transparent and, uh, very upfront about everything. I might've, when that happened, I was probably, I was probably a little irritated as well as, uh, a couple weeks before, uh, very short before, not months, but weeks before the layoffs at Fender, a bunch of my friends who work at Fender, because I have a lot of friends that work at Fender. I have a lot of friends that work at Gibson. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends that do that work in this industry. They're my friends. We literally chat daily. Um, they got a box of Cracker Jacks and a sticker that said Fender family as a gift, like a weird, thanks for doing a great job. And I made a joke and I felt bad about it. Not bad to my friends, but I feel bad. Think of a letter. I said a box of Cracker Jacks and a sticker. That's like, that's almost like out of a sitcom. Like that's almost like a Saturday Night skit. Like, hey, good job, Ted. Here's a box of Cracker Jacks and a sticker. Welcome to the family. I was like, doesn't seem like, hey, we had two years of record sales. Here's your profit sharing. Here's your, here's your, Here's what we're going to do to help the fact that you live in one of the most expensive places in the world to work, which is California. 
Instead, it was a box of Cracker Jacks and a sticker that said, you're part of the Fender family. And uh, I didn't say anything to them. I just thought it, like I said, that's why I felt bad. I thought uh, thought it was horrible that, you know, I was like, what a... I think I, I think I what I, I, I what I resigned to do in my head was go well maybe the person who bought that had w- good intentions maybe they're at Costco and they're like maybe all the employees were like a box of cat- cracker jacks and maybe there was nothing to be said about that other than that but then a couple weeks later to see there was layoffs to me in my mind in that day I didn't want to talk about it because I was just too emotional at that point I went are you telling me that there's a world where a company who had two years of record sales gave their employees a box of Cracker Jacks and then a couple weeks later laid off a bunch of people? I just feel like, I just feel like, again, maybe, you know, you could, management's top down, you could just pay attention. I just thought that was horrible. And, and again, I always refrain because I try not to be so judgmental about stuff because, hey, everybody's got a job, everybody's got a company and, and everybody's decision is a lot harder than it looks to somebody else. Um, and I say that, like I said, not everyone can know the whole story. And but uh, when a company's big like that, I think criticism is safe that they need it because sometimes they don't see it. They think everything is that they do is perfect. And uh, and now they're hiring again. <laughs> so if you're looking for a job, Fender is hiring. Uh, I say that, but I can't can't not say this part of don't don't. Just be prepared. You might get a box of Cracker Jacks and a walking papers one day. But And that's the thing that I was saying that they're going to have to live with. That's the problem. As someone who's worked for corporate America and has been part of layoffs, in other words, I was not laid off. I had to uh, lay off people. Um, I can tell you, I don't care what anybody says, there is a there is a damage you do to the working employees that stay there. It basically does two things that I hate. One, it puts everybody in fear of their jobs, as it does. And which is not not good if you can save from not only just tra- traumatic to let somebody go. That's traumatic. Okay, let's be honest. Everybody's been laid off or fired or some version. It's it's very traumatic. In fact, people commit suicide from that. That's traumatic. But also, if you're not laid off, it's traumatic because now you're everything about your your life is in disarray of like, okay, am I next or what's going to happen or how stable is this company or should I look for another job or should I stay here? And and uh, that's why I said I think a company should do grow to great lengths to to not do that and i'm i'm i wasn't convinced and i'm still not convinced that fender took every action to not do that um i think they were haphazard with it is how it felt to me like it felt like oh little 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 rocky on the boat start throwing people off that's how it felt like i said i will say uh i i i don't know the entire story i don't think any of us do but I'm telling you how it felt. That's how it felt. All right. Is that the last question? Do we can we end on a we can end on one positive one? Hold on. Let's see. Let me refresh real quick. I see Kevin's here. Kevin's got the last question. I'm gonna give it to Kevin. Kevin said, for Halloween candy fund. Oh, I don't have a Halloween candy fund. And why not? Uh thank you. I'm gonna put that to something else. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm trying, I'm just trying to help the cause. Thank you for continuing to be an inspiration to all of us. Uh, thank you guys so much. I hope you and the whole AZ crew have a safe Halloween weekend. Uh, yeah, I thank you. Thank you so much, Kevin, for that. Um, so much, especially the super chat. Cause you know, he doesn't have to do that. He's messaged me and I messaged him back. So, uh, it's just really kind of him to do that. And, uh, yeah, it's Halloween. Please enjoy, uh, your weekends. So play guitar, have fun with your family or friends. And, uh, and that's it. We'll, we'll end on that note. 
on that note, we'll, we'll, we'll end on, let's go play some guitar. All right, guys, as always, I will see you guys next Friday. And unless of course you decide, decide to watch some of the videos I put out during the week. And, uh, until the next time, uh, thank you so much for your time and know your gear. <laughs>